Deadpool announced and shipping. Pinball Magazine number 5, printed and also shipping. And Deep Root hires Paul Farris. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston from Pinball Magazine and with me is... I'm Martin Ayub here in London. And we're here to bring you the Pinball Magazine and Pinball News free audio podcast updating you on the latest pinball industry updates from last month, which would be August 2018. And a very exciting month it was too. I mean, normally, as we say, August uh, and July are, are pretty quiet months when it comes to, uh, to pinball, uh, with everybody away on, on holiday or on vacation somewhere and enjoying the sun. But in fact, it's actually been quite quite an active month, wouldn't you yeah, say, Yeah, so be prepared that this might be a long podcast, because there is actually a lot of news to report. Although, obviously, we never quite know how long we're going to talk for when we start these things. Uh, it's always a surprise to us when we, when we finish them and look at the clock and go, oh, my goodness, it's, uh, it's been an hour and a half. But anyway, right. let, but, let's see how it goes. Right. Um, before we uh, start with the news, um, let me announce immediately, we also have a special guest. We do, as indeed. we did an interview with Mike Kalinowski of HomePin when we were at the UK PinFest, which was a week ago. Yeah, Mike was doing a seminar there, and then he brought along the Thunderbirds uh, machine, which people were playing and enjoying and having a good time. And uh, as part of the seminar, uh, well, straight back, straight after the seminar, when Mike had uh, answered a number of questions, we, we grabbed him, took him off to uh, a room and sat him down and, and had a, a pretty good and in-depth interview with him, which uh, we come up a bit later in, in this uh, podcast. Right, so... But um, before we get to that, let's start with Deadpool. Okay, yep. So Stern's Deadpool, which uh, which at the in the last podcast we said was going to be announced in August, um, any day now, and it duly was, in fact. Um, and a pretty pretty impressive looking game, I think uh, everybody agrees. The, the artwork yeah. on it is absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Um, personally. I love the artwork. The only concern I have with it is that there's so much artwork. I'm not sure you can actually see the game underneath all that. But uh, as I say, the the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. So uh, we haven't actually, I, I certainly haven't got my hands on one yet. Um, Jonathan, you haven't either, I guess. No, I haven't. Um, but we, it seems like uh, we both will later this week as uh, the game is supposed to be at the Vancouver uh, flip out. Yeah, let's have a little uh, diversion um, to look at that. Um, Tommy Floyd from Nitro uh, invited both of us over to the uh, the Vancouver Flip Out Expo, which is taking place um, this coming weekend in Vancouver, naturally enough. Right. And, um, yeah, it's going to, by all accounts, everything that we've, we've read about it so far, it's going to be an, an amazing show. There's some, some very good special guests, not, not us, obviously. Um, but some people who know what they're talking about will be there, uh, and uh, there'll be some some excellent games. And it's you know, it's my first time going to this show. I, I think it's yours too, as well. Isn't yeah, it? and it's yeah. Uh, um, interesting to report. I will actually be DJing at the VIP party of the Vancouver Flipout on Friday evening. Excellent, and I, and I will be reporting live for Pinball News throughout the the three days of the show from Friday through to Sunday, and. 
also, I had a word with Tommy, and I'm going to be recording all the seminars uh, which are, t- are taking place there and making them available on Pinball News as well, um, as quickly as I possibly can. So that we and we might be starting a new kind of thing that we just discussed, uh, but... Well, we yeah, yet, but but there might be we we might be doing something fun that would be available online later on. So yeah, we we had a few ideas about what about things we could do at the show, and uh, yeah, let's see what what comes out of that. It okay. uh, should be a very interesting weekend, and, and um, obviously anybody who's uh, who can come to Vancouver this weekend for the for the show definitely should be there. Um, we're we're um, flying all the way over from Europe. For it, you know, um, you're going via Chicago, I'm going via LA, so we're taking, you know, um, 11, 12 hour, or in your case, even longer, I think, it's almost like 24 20 hours. 20 hour flights. 20 yes. hours, okay, to get but to that. I have a, a transfer in Chicago, and I'll be actually getting out of the airport and um, um, possibly visiting um, one or another uh, pinball manufacturer. Um, uh, since I won't be going to Pinball Expo, so uh, this would be my chance to visit some people and uh, discuss a few things and and such. Absolutely, I uh, I will be at, at Expo, so I'm, I'm deferring that until uh, next month. But um, once we get to Vancouver, we're going to Vancouver on Wednesday night, late, and uh, th- Thursday we'll be at the show, having a look around. Friday it all kicks off and. We'll be there across the whole weekend. So uh, if, if you're uh, any chance of getting up there, please please come along and say hello and uh, enjoy the entire event. Right. So um, while we're discussing the the event, uh, we'll get to Pinball Magazine number five in a bit. But if you're coming to the event, Pinball Magazine number five will be available at the uh, Nitro Pinball stand. So. Um, just make sure that you take a look at that, um, uh, and we'll get back to Pinball Magazine number five later on in the show. But now, yeah, 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 no one's interested in that. Uh, yeah, back, back to Deadpool. Yes, Deadpool. Yes. So, so what were your impressions of Deadpool then, Jonathan? Um, I found it. Um, well, I watched the uh, the the Jack Danger uh, Deadflip stream. Uh, which I found actually uh, quite interesting. I'm completely unfamiliar with the Deadpool comics or the movies, never seen the movies or anything. Um, I found the game surprisingly funny, especially it being a stern game and fun is not really, or humor is not really their forte, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in, in that department, they really surprised me. Um, I thought it was, it looks like a fun game to flip. Um, when I read the press release, I was like, oh, God, here we go again with uh, Sabretooth and uh, Wolverine, and I have no clue who these characters are, no. so I have no idea what to do with them. Um, but from what I could see, um, gameplay was actually quite fun, and I look forward to playing the game. I did hear a very interesting comment from um, uh, someone else who, um, well, I'm just, just a, a sort of, uh, paraphrasing on what uh, what they told me, and they said um, that the game, uh, while well, the art look on the game uh, looks very very good, but it's not a cohesive package in the sense that Zombie Yeti is doing the cabinet artwork and the playfield artwork and the plastics. It's all great, and then you have this tiny Deadpool character sitting on uh, on top of a, uh, a drop target bank, which is a complete style clash with the other artwork. The artwork on the LCD 
is a complete style clash with what's happening on the playfield and because with all the, the uh, 8-bit uh, video rendering. And then certain images on the LCD are high-res, which is a style clash with what's happening on the LCD in itself. Um, and then if you look at the um, uh, the premium and the LE versions, they have 3D uh, uh, molded uh, characters on the play, which are, again, a complete style clash with what, ha- what else is happening on the playfield. So I never looked at it like that, so I guess it wasn't a problem for me, but some other people actually did have a problem with that. So. Yeah, I can kind of see what it's saying, but also I think given the nature of, and I only know Deadpool from the movie, uh, the original movie, I haven't seen the second movie. Uh, the original movie is very much about um, sort of breaking genres and uh, the fourth wall and that kind of stuff and um, basically not doing things you wouldn't expect. So I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the basic LCD being a, an 8-bit version, but with then suddenly it sort of comes to, to real life with a, a 3D rendered real Deadpool talking to you through through the screen, that's fine, because that, that sort of fits in with the, the unexpected nature of, of exactly what Deadpool would do. But uh, I wouldn't know that, because I, I never read a book or... Um, oh, well, that, thought, yes, obviously that, that's always going to be a... a um, a difficulty you have to overcome from the very start, and that's something obviously we're going to talk about a bit later with with some of the the, uh, the future games that are coming up as to whether or not they're things which which um, people around the world would be familiar with. Right. Um, well, that's a good thing. Sorry to interrupt, but it's a good no, no, thing go that ahead. I have a uh, a twenty hour flight ahead of me <laughs> because that gives me the chance, hopefully, to watch the Deadpool movies uh, on the plane. Yeah, I think it's true. Uh, well, basically all these these licensed titles, you know, Avengers and um, um, ones that aren't bands necessarily, <laughs> all the ones that are based on movies, it gives you a chance to catch up on them. And um, and then it, the games themselves make a lot more sense, you know. And uh, you know, if you weren't a fan of, um, or weren't even aware, weren't even born maybe when Batman 66 came out, it would give you a chance to to find out about that 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 whole um, whole culture and and get involved in it and, and yeah, decide sorry, it, it fits you. No, I had no desire whatsoever to start watching old Batman episodes. Um, <laughs> I tried watching um, some of the Avengers games uh, on a plane, and seriously, after twenty minutes, I just shut them out like. <laughs> Not okay. my cup of tea. So that's fair enough. Not not every game or not every title and every theme is going to appeal to everybody. That that's fine. Right. Uh, but and so even more so when you get to music pins, of course, you know bands. Um, some people have have absolute hatred of certain bands that have been used um, as as the basis for music pins. But you know, it's still a good game. Whether if you can put that, if you can make that leap, you know, get over the well, uh, actually yeah, um, subject of it. I, uh, um, uh, going off on that, uh, in the sense that um, Iron Maiden is really not my type of music, but the game is actually very, very good. And during gameplay, I don't find the music that distracting. So, no, but it, you know, you have to sort of, you know, spell out Eddie, spell out, you know, Mummy, and all these. If, if, if none of that actually appeals uh, five to letter words, I think I can handle, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, you know, you ask yourself why you're spelling these things out, and if they're things which mean nothing to you, 
then you know it's 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 a hurdle to overcome. But anyway, anyway, yes. So, but um, I have to give uh, Stern credit for um, announcing a game and being able to ship it like within a week and have it on location. And um, again, they that that's their strong point at this moment. Uh, I think we we talked about that earlier on in in, in previous episodes. We but, have indeed, yeah. Um, that that really makes Stern stand out from everybody else. Uh, they can, uh, while the game was no secret, when, once they revealed, then they're, bam, into production, shipping games possibly the same day, and um, and they're out there for people to play. So Yeah, absolute kudos to them for that, and um, there being no real uh, leak um, as far as um, social media goes on um, anything about the Deadpool game other than the fact that it was really going to it existed and it was going to it was a George Gomez design. Well, there George. was a uh, a Whitewood image uh, that we discussed a, uh, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, but um, as far as what the final game would look like and you know the, the actual look of the game is, is so heavily dependent, I think, on on the artwork that's that's been done for it. It, it defines the game really almost more than the playfield layout does. Right. Um, none of that was was revealed. However, on yeah. That speaking point, of leaks, <laughs> yeah, Grace, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, there has been a. I want to. I don't want to call it a leak because that would suggest that it wasn't authorized. But there has been a uh, reveal, shall we say, of some artwork for or, or renderings, maybe of. Stern's uh, future game. I won't say it's necessarily the next game. I think it is the next game, but yeah. maybe you never quite know. It, uh, things can happen and, and production schedules can change. You know, uh, so we're, we're basically talking about monsters then, right. and uh, the fact that there was uh, or have been a couple of images um, released, leaked online, shall we say, uh, in the past couple of weeks. Do you want to talk about those, Jonathan? Sure. Um, let me just uh, pull them up right here. Um, okay. no, I think there's uh, images of a, uh, a pro cabinet and a limited edition cabinet. Yes. And um, now, bearing in mind, Masters was sorry, I, I, I can't talk with any authority about this whatsoever because it's not a theme or a title or a show, which was big over here in in Europe. Oh, uh, it's a very not. much American American program. Um, I'd probably say even probably the Adams family was slightly more popular over here or known over here than the Munsters. I, think, um, I guess there have been movies for the Munsters. I, I'm not entirely sure about that fact even. But Munsters was not a big TV event um, in Europe. Or indeed, I don't think anywhere much outside the U.S. So I don't think uh, Adam's Family was uh, either, but Adam's Family, when the pinball machine came out, obviously uh, the Adam's Family had a uh, very successful movie in theaters, That's right. uh, which the game was based on. Um, I think if, if any pinball company would have done at that time the Adam's Family based on the TV shows, it would have been a huge flop. At least in Europe. So I'm very curious to see how this will happen, uh, or what will happen with monsters. But if we look at the uh, at the images of the um, uh, leaked um, uh, artwork, 
Um, the uh, limited edition appears to have uh, almost black and white images uh, on, the, on the cabinet with a, a red trim uh, or a gold trim and some red in the, in the cabinet uh, and gold as well. So well, They are kind of colorized black and white, though, aren't they? There, there, is, there is color put into them, almost like uh, they colorize old movies. Right. So, um, well, that's more like the, um, the pro version that, that has green and purple and blue in it, but the limited edition game has black and white images with, uh, a gold monsters logo and, um, gold trim, uh, for the side rails and the lock bar and the coin door and, uh, Yeah, I think that's much more for the purists, isn't it? With, uh, going for the contrast with the color, where there is color. It's, right. it's in the trim, but the purists remember it from, from being a black and white series, so it should be um, black and white in the artwork. Right. So, and then for the uh, uh, the premium model, that's the um, that's the other image that has leaked. That has actually uh, colorized images, um, which uh, are done. All the artwork apparently is done by um, uh, Christopher Frenchy. Um, looks like, uh, from what I can see. Looked like a, a, a standout uh, Christopher Frenchy job. He he always does very realistic um, um, art of the uh, of the character that he's um, portraying. Uh, very authentic, I would say. Um, although this is colorized, but still very authentic. So um, yeah, kudos to Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing given the given the um, provenance of, of that um, that title, that there wasn't a lot of um, original artwork that could have been used of a good enough resolution or, or quality. So I, I'm sure it all had to be hand drawn by by Chris, and he's done a, an excellent job, um, judging by what I've seen so far. Right. So so we know that game is coming, and it's expected to be. Uh, like we said, Stern's next mo- uh, uh, model, hopefully ready for uh, Pinball Expo. Yeah, absolutely. And um, don't know where I heard about that. Um, actually, it might be that the game could not be ready for Pinball Expo, but who knows? You might see, like they did with Batman, that they would um, just show the games, uh, but you can't play them. Uh, yeah. That could be an option, but. I yeah, I, I, originally, um, you know, sort of going back almost a, a year, well, uh, back to last Expo, before the uh, excitement with Expo took place, there was um, talk about Stern launching two titles at right. this year's Pinball Expo, which were widely expected to be Beatles and Monsters. Right. Um, um, it looks like Beatles is, is now being pushed back in, into 2019. Yes, January. It's uh, expected to be the January release for Stern. Stern usually have a January release, and that would actually make sense in the sense that uh, January is usually the EAG show in London, and it would be very interesting to debut a Beatles game at the London show. That's true. It also doesn't give much time between... Uh, Monsters coming out. If, it, if it's um, going to be released in October or late or late October into November, and then January for the next game, especially with the you know with shutdowns across Christmas and, and New Year um, in the manufacturing. So um, that's that's interesting that, that they they're not bringing them out together. They're not actually that far apart. But um, also on the subject of Chris Franchi's work. Um, we, Chris also put some 
a little sort of teaser image out uh, in the past couple of weeks of some artwork he's been doing of Elvira. Um, now, a lot of people immediately thought, oh, yes, we know Stern is doing an Elvira pinball. So uh, interesting that Chris is working on that, but not a great surprise. Uh, but that's not the case, is it, Jonathan? As far as I know, it's not. Um, Dennis Norman uh, reconfirmed that Greg Ferris will be doing the artwork for um, the Elvira 3 pinball machine. Um, I do remember from, um, I think, uh, uh, the Texas Pinball Festival that had Elvira as a special guest, that Christopher French actually had a meeting with Elvira's manager uh, because uh, her manager was interested in him doing artwork of Elvira. So it looks like they have been talking and gotten to some uh, uh, terms. And uh, I think Chris is working for for them, not necessarily for Stern Pinball in terms of Elvira artwork. He's working for Stern, but sure. not, not, not on the Elvira game. That's currently my belief. Let's put it like that. Okay, interesting, interesting information there. But uh, heading back to where we were just now, I'm talking about monsters, and um, that's that's going to be an October release um, or uh, Pinball Expo time, October into November. Um, I'm just wondering how that really ties up with a Texas show in March next year, right? Because um, Eddie Monster, um, Butch Patrick. Uh, is scheduled to appear at the Texas Pinball Festival, I think. Yes. Well, certainly it was it was put on. I think I think Eddie Munster put it on his uh, his diary of, of appearances. Yes. Um, some time ago, and then quickly took that, that off. Uh, but I think I think he's he's due to be there at, at Texas to help promote the Munster's Pinball. Uh, but that is as I say that is in March, so that's that's a good you know, sort of almost five months. After the game is first launched, so well, that's uh, still. But, if, if, for him but if it's not Stern's current title, you know, Stern have, have brought out, um, say, Beatles in January. Are people going to want to go back and start pushing a, an older game? I don't know. Are Stern going to want to be? Well, they still that? probably want to sell them uh, as many as they can. Um, well, I do wonder whether this is to do with there being some kind of. Um, demarcation between a Kapow title, because don't forget Joe Kamikau's Kapow pinball. Actually, I think uh, both Monsters and Beatles are Kapow titles. Okay, so Kapow would effectively still be promoting both those two, and Stern are sort of effectively moving on. Um, We don't know what... what they, They might have another game scheduled for release around about March, April... Oh, Elvira still has to come out. And Steve Wheat yeah. is working on, uh, on, uh, on what we hear is supposed to be Black Knight 3000 or another Black Knight variation. Um, but getting back to Monsters, what's also interesting is that... In, uh, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Eddie Munster, uh, yeah, or the character. Yes. Um, he will also be appearing at the Southwest Florida Comic Con which is November 17 and 18, which is actually the weekend right after the IAPA show. Um, and it could be that if Stern is deciding to come out with the game, like either around Expo or a few weeks later, November, that the game might actually be at the uh, Southwest Florida Comic Con. 
Uh, yeah, that would make sense. Imagine they'd have it at IAPA, as it would be their current title. Right. So uh, and, and, and also the Florida show, of course, the Florida Pinball show right. as well. Yes, uh, I'm not sure that's the same weekend, but it, I think it is. Could be. It, it, it generally ties in with IAPA, either the, the weekend after or very close to that. Yeah. So, um, so it would make sense if if the game would be out that. Um, and uh, Eddie Munster is appearing in um, um, Fort Myers, Florida, that it would make sense that the game would also be there. Um, actually, it would be pretty cool for Stern to have the game at a at Comic-Con with Eddie Munster present. So well, Stern cer- certainly uh, support Comic-Cons, um, certainly the main Comic-Con event, so, yeah, it would make make sense for them to support some of these more regional ones as well, or at least uh, their local distributors to... to to uh, have a big push for the title there as well, um, as it, it will be their current title and uh, ahead of the Beatles coming out. Okay, so um, I guess that's all the news about Stern Pinball. Let's move on to Pinball Magazine number five. No, no, no let's come back to that a bit later. So moving on to um, to Spooky, um, I understand that um, that they're, ma- they're making Total Nuclear Annihilation now, Scott Denise's game, and they're planning to, to limit that to some kind of number. Is that right? Well, it's not necessarily a limit, um, but um, they are very close to having uh, 500 orders uh, uh, for that game, uh, which a a big chunk of them have already been delivered. Um, And what uh, Charlie mentioned on this Pookie Pinball podcast is that they need to move on with um, Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle. Mm. So they are planning to stop the production of total nuclear annihilation at 550 units for now, then move on with Alice Cooper. So they, if they haven't sold all of these games, then they might um, uh, have some in stock to offer at shows and so on. Um, but once Alice Cooper is done, that they might actually revisit total nuclear annihilation if there is enough demand for it. Right. Okay. Well, that's a very good, very good uh, situation to be in. Where they can they can uh, be reactive to orders in that way. Right. Um, obviously, it's a way that Stern's been very, very proactive in um, never sort of finishing a run of any game. Um, as long as there are orders for them, they'll keep making them. So, yeah, and right. obviously, it makes sense for Spooky to do the same thing um, as far as they're able to, given their, the size of their operation. Right. Well, in, this is the first time that Spooky actually is in the position to do that because all the other games that they have been working on uh, have been limited to a fixed number. So they can't reason, uh, they, they, they can't take them back into production unless they haven't met that number yet. But so Yeah, true. Yeah, because they, they don't really do sort of limited editions so much. Um, the, and a, and a, a sort of, you know, not a, a pro or standard version and a limited edition version. All the games have been effectively limited edition up till now. Uh, and which means they've been restricted on how many they can make based on how many said they were going to make when they first announced it. Yeah. Um, um, okay. So speaking of, uh, uh, I'm not sure whether they already sold out of Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle, uh, which was limited to 500 units, but um, it appears that Scott would still be the um, uh, best-selling game for Spooky if they if he actually. Uh, uh, if they sell 550, so. 
Mm. So yep. kudos to Scott. And speaking of Scott, um, he did share an image on his uh, social media where he was um, there was a um, black cabinet game being um, uh, to be loaded into the back of a, uh, a pickup truck or whatever it was, a car, um, which rumor. Well, everybody's sort of speculating that that is the new game that he's supposed to be working on. Yeah, he's kind of teasing everybody with with that. Um, whether it was or whether it wasn't, we don't know. But we do know that he is producing another game for for Spooky, right? Uh, for, certainly for manufacturing by Spooky and and sales. Um, so yeah, it, was certainly made, it need to be around about this time that um, he's he's coming up with. Um, with the prototype, or, or certainly a whitewood, to right. uh, for people to, to start working on and um, ordering parts. Right. Um, it will be interesting, though, because if you see how long he has been working on total nuclear annihilation, um, it would be difficult. I can imagine it would be difficult for him to crank out a game in a couple of months when the first one took you a couple of years. Yeah, true, but same kind of situation with... Uh, um, with Keith and uh, Archer slash Iron Maiden, isn't it? You know, Iron Maiden, the, the basic design for Iron Maiden was Archer, which was, you know, he and Randy had worked on for a long time. Um, eventually it comes out, and now he's got, now he's sort of a regular designer at Stern, and he's got, I guess, a year to come out with game number two. Right. Having, having spent five, six, seven, eight years working on game number one. So, so um, yeah, it's not not dissimilar. So, what I'm curious about, um, because I've uh, obviously I've been interviewing quite a few designers uh, over the, the the last couple of years, uh, both for Pinball Magazine, but also just at at, at Pinball shows and so on. Um, I understand that uh, for most designers, if they have been working on a, a certain design for a very long time, that usually sort of blocks their mind in the sense that once they are done with that game and they have to design a different game, the only game they still can design is the game they already designed. They, it's very difficult to make a switch, if it's, especially if it's uh, one of your first games, to transition and do something completely different, or maybe not different, but at least something fresh um, that... that might be similar, but it's still different, you know. So it will be interesting to see for both Keith and for Scott how their second game uh, will turn out, given the fact that they probably have to crank it out in less time than what they were able to do on their first design. Absolutely. Although you can also imagine that um, when they were developing their, their initial designs, there were a number of ideas they came up with that they, they thought were really nice to include that in this game. But eventually, for reasons that either due to cost or due to the fact it didn't really fit with the the theme or their existing layout didn't accommodate it, um, it, it was kind of bumped out of the existing design, out of game one. And it's something which I think, well, maybe maybe we'll revisit that in game two. And so that can be an idea yeah. which which they can base the second or, or subsequent games around. Oh, you know, I'm, sure I'm sure they're brimming with ideas that uh, not everything's going to fit into the first game. You just can't do it, can you? Yeah. No, and some ideas you try, and then you test it out on the whitewood, and it turns out, oh, this is no fun at all. That's also possible. 
Yeah, or in fact, it's mechanically too difficult to achieve in the, in the time available. We've seen that with other manufacturers recently, haven't we? Yes. So now, since we're on the uh, subject of Scott Denisi, uh, mm-hmm. there is one thing I uh, still want to mention in terms of um, Stern's Deadpool. Um, obviously, Stern has been paying very close attention to uh, what Scott Denisi has been doing as. The, 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 the extras that come with the uh, limited edition uh, of um, Deadpool, uh, well, includes a vinyl record and the premium mm-hmm. includes a cassette tape. That's well, right. The, the cassette tape is a <laughs> page out of Scott Denisi's playbook. In the game, um, Scott Denisi has a uh, reference. If you read the game, if you finish the ninth reactor, there is a reference. Um, to Bo and Karen's, and Stern immediately came with a Keith Elwin reference in Deadpool. So um, Stern is paying close attention to what Scott is doing. Yeah, I think uh, it kind of ties in very much with the retro stuff. Almost going back to Guardians of the Galaxy as well. You know, all the, all the cassette tape stuff is what they they included. Yeah, with okay, that. but that was in the movie, so it was. Yeah, but it's it's a kind of like. It's the in thing, isn't it, at the moment, if you know what I mean. But, anyway, um, moving on then to... Uh, Pinball Magazine number five. No, 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 we'll plenty of time for that later. Um, so, uh, yeah, Jersey Jack Pinball, yes, they've um, they've certainly been working on Pirates and, well, announced Pirates almost a year ago at, at Expo last year, uh, but the game is now in production and and shipping. Yes. Finally, so, I'd say. <laughs> well, yeah, finally. Um, it's been a bit of a tortuous journey, I'm sure. And I'm sure it's not over either, because um, the software will will develop um, probably forever, given right. the, the potential depth of that game with the number of yeah. characters, which could which be... Probably also the problem with the game, um, if I'm just purely honest and ventilating my personal opinion, uh, which I'm not sure whether is the um, objective of this podcast, but uh, I think I I personally I think great 22 characters to choose from never ever play the same game, you can go whatever way, nobody cares people want to walk up to a game want to have fun this is a game you need to to you need to get into, uh, but when you start playing it, is it fun? You have no clue what to shoot for. There's nothing that's obvious, like oh, I got to shoot this three times and then that will happen. That's not there, and I think that's one of the basics that a pinball machine needs. And if that's lacking, you can programming it as as deep as a New York uh, phone book, but that won't save it. You need okay. something that's fun right at the start of the game. Well, let's let's just have a little discussion or a little look at that and and see who the market for this game is. Um, would you say? Well, I would say that there are two markets: there's the operator market and there's the home collector market, and those two probably have very different demands on them. What you'd be describing is the operator market. Yes, you need somebody who doesn't know anything about the game or knows limited amount about the game, but knows the theme, to be able to walk up to it based on what they've seen on, from the movies, uh, their knowledge of the of the whole theme, they should have some idea what to shoot for. 
and make, and it should be fairly simple and obvious for them, and and not have. Huge well, these are actually there. movies that I've seen, so I sort of am familiar with the theme. <laughs> right. Okay. So good. Um, on the other hand, you have got the home collector market who would appreciate having that many different combinations. The fact they won't, if they play it every day, that every obviously every game is going to be different anyway. That's the nature of pinball, but. If you start off with different rules, different combinations of things every single time, that's something that's going to give the game longevity. Now, I do agree that um, this complexity and depth of these rules has, for Jersey Jack, has been something which has been a, a mixed blessing. It's it's given them a huge amount of, of range and options within the within the games, but also it has been something that's that's put off a lot of people and it's confused them, and they they really want to see something which is a bit more you know obvious as to what to go for exactly as you were describing, and right. depth is you no know, I'm I'm a guy who loves thought he loved depth of games you know I. My favourite game was The Simpsons because I loved you know, the fact that you had all these different approaches to it, all these different rules, and getting to the Super Duper Mega Extreme Wizard mode was was like the Holy Grail, and it's something you would probably never get to. Or I know I never it, will. Well, I haven't got there even. I've only done about four of the six things that you need to do to do it. But having said that, over the years, I've actually realised that that's I don't really want rules that are that deep because... Unless you own the game, you're never going to learn them. Right. And, and when you walk up to a game that with such deep rules, you haven't got a clue. It's hugely intimidating um, to, to, to look at a, a blank play field, as you say. You know, normally with a stern game, you start a mode or you, you pick a mode and various lights will be lit on the play field to indicate what shots you need to make. If that doesn't happen and you're just there with a, a, a blank play field with nothing lit very much... It's not a huge amount of fun until you've spent a lot of time and, and invested right. a lot of time and money into the game to work out what you're meant to do. And right. even then, it might not be fun. You know exactly. So um, uh, my fear is, and God knows, I I hope I'm wrong, but my fear is that with pirates. Um, everybody wanted to outdo everybody. So look what we did with the playfield. Oh, we got this. Oh, we got that. We got the tilting playfield. Uh, we got the three spinning discs. Oh, now we take out the three spinning discs, but that's not that bad. Well, actually it is, but let's not go there. <laughs> but, um, but so you have, so you have a, a, a playfield design, which is, um, well, I wouldn't say intimidating because it doesn't look that intimidating. It looks very impressive. But you have no clue what to shoot for. Yeah, that is a is a problem. Uh, but I would say, <laughs> uh, without wishing to get into personalities too much, there's hope. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the hope comes in the form of the Hobbit, because I think the Hobbit was a game that, which now which, are, which this is going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Hobbit is a game which had the same challenges when it first came out. It, no, it had all these different characters, all these different modes on the back glass, or in on the on the display. Thirty-one different modes, yes. exactly all that. And you, you look at that and you think, how am I ever going to play all that many? Uh, but in truth, it didn't matter initially whether you played them or not, um, because the rules weren't developed in that way. But subsequently, JJP and you know Keith and in particular Ted. 
did go back and they looked at this and they, they revised various parts of it and they changed many things according to uh, player feedback and owner feedback. And they've been very, very re- responsive, far more than I think any other company has been. So full credit to them for doing that. And I think everybody who, who has been on the journey from when the game first came out to where it is now would appreciate exactly what a huge change in the whole rule set that has been. And it's become a lot more accessible, a lot more sensible in a way, a lot more logical in, in, in how you play the game. I'm sure when it, the initial sort of concept of the, of the game was absolutely, you know, true to the theme, true to the, the books and the movies and nailed down a hundred percent, but it didn't make it that playable. And that has improved markedly over the past few months. Well, no, probably a year to months. And, um, I think great credit to JJP for realizing that they needed to make that, that sea change to exactly how the game played, um, and give players the option. Um, it's not completely different to how it was, but it is a lot more playable, and that's what I'm hoping will come along with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as well. It'll become a lot more accessible than, than it was initially. Right. Well, I hope it happens fast, because obviously they need to be selling games, and if um, the current perception is like, well, it's a very deep game, but it's not that much fun, then you're not going to sell that many. I, I think think uh, Pirates benefits over... Hobbit, because the Hobbit, to be honest, the playfield wasn't that great to start with. Uh, whereas I think Pirates has a has a very good playfield to start with, and yes. it just needs the rules to really bring that playfield to life and um, it, you know it, to explore it and, um, and and to utilize it in the way that that um, that really gives it basically makes it fun to play, as you said. Right. So, well, obviously, one thing that Pirates has over Hobbit is that it has Johnny Depp on the playfield, which uh, probably helps to sell the game to home use owners. Um, I just hope that um, for those operators who are putting a Pirates on location, that the game will be fun for the average Joe that's walking up to the game and just trying, oh, cool, Pirates, let's play it. And uh, it would be a pity if they would be Walking away from the game, like I have no clue what I'm doing here. Mm. Although it's, um, I have to say, there's a certain element of that with the with the Stern Pirates as well when it first came out. Uh, I give that to 90% of the Stern games, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, I do because if you're not familiar with the, the 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 characters in a certain license, then you're basically screwed. Yes, no, it, um, I'm thinking games like Aerosmith. Um, and yeah, that's probably the Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Um, you know, you pick your character. You don't know who the character is, or might not know what the song is. But the lights on the playfield and they're flashing and they're telling you what to shoot. And you know, it's and there is the big toy there which you could just keep shooting away at, and eventually going to get multiple if you keep going for it. So those those are the accessible games. Um, right, not necessarily one, but. Well, they're fun. They're fun to the average player on on location. They're not. They're not maybe you know the game you're going to spend half an hour or an hour playing and going through every single mode. And uh, that's not those, those type of games. They they are the the, the quick. They're, they're the operational on location right. games, and uh, they, they, will earn, they will earn a lot of money. 
the thing is, um, I'm sort of missing like a simple challenge for people like, oh, then you look at the play field and you immediately understand like, oh, great. Oh, I got to, I got to do this. I got to do that. And then, you know, or, or like if take a look, uh, for example, creature from the black lagoon. I remember walking past that game and I was like, I just want to shoot every ramp on that game. And how do I do that? And how do I make that one drop down? You know, so that gives you a goal immediately without even... I'm not familiar with the movie Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I played my share of games on that game because the playfield looked challenging. Um, and that's although, fact, although, bizarrely, shooting the ramps on that game will earn you virtually nothing. So uh, Yeah, okay, <laughs> but that's the point, and that's stuff that the uh, that, that, that tournament players might be interested in. But if you're just a, an average Joe... In a in an arcade or a bar or whatever, you you see that game, you just want to make that shot. If it doesn't give you any points, you don't care. I finally made that shot. True. Yeah. I guess if you shoot the uh, the right ramp enough times, then it'll start start a feature. If you shoot the left ramp over and over, and it'll just increase the value of the the center shot. And if you don't ever shoot the center shot, you never get it. Right. So uh, that makes you wonder, how do I get that? And then you find out, and oh, right, I got to do that. So. Anyway, we're completely digressing. Oh, um, that's what we do. So that's fine. So, um, but there's more news regarding Jersey Jack Pinball and their future games. Indeed, there is. Uh, there was a there's a nice um, article in or there's an interview with um, a certain guitarist um, from a popular, as I say, a popular beat combo um, known as Guns and Roses, um, and that was uh, Slash, who's um, well known for his his love of, of all kinds of things um, pinball related, as well as various other uh, interests. But he uh, had an interview. I think it was with the Times. Is that correct? Um, yes, that is correct. Yeah, the Times of London, um, and in which he discussed. Well, not discussed. He he let slip a little bit about his uh, interest in pinball and something he's been doing recently, Jonathan? I, I think um, he basically he said he was working on a pinball game and that left it sort of in the middle like, well, is he changing the rubbers on a pinball game that he has at home or is he working on a new design? But it appears that he is actually working on a new design. And please note that when Data East did Guns N' Roses, Slash was actually involved in the design of the game. He was indeed, yeah, working with John Borg on that, and right. um, I think everybody admits that that's, or agrees, that that's a, a very successful and a very playable game with, um, uh, if, if anything if anything is wrong with that game, it's probably the technology of the time didn't I was allow. afraid you were going to say the music. No, no, I'm a Guns N' Roses fan, so I'll, uh, I'll put my hand up for that. Um, but I would say the technology at the time didn't allow there to be a, a really good um, quality recording of the music in the game, and also for there to be a, a, you know, a, a huge amount of music in there either. You know, it's, there's a good amount, but these days with memory being cheap and plentiful and fast, and high quality audio being the default on game, you can imagine that a new Guns N' Roses game would sound. And look, you know, with a with a huge, great LCD display in the back box that uh, JJP put in all their games, um, a, a, J, um, a Guns N' Roses game showing 
either videos or live performances with a, a quality sound system, um, as, as long as the play field itself is, uh, is up to scratch, uh, the design of it, then it, it, it would uh, literally blow people away, I think. Yeah, so um, it's interesting that, okay, so this sort of um, uh, leaked, I tried to get anybody at uh, Jersey Jack uh, to comment on it, but nobody picked up their phones. But as Jack will be in Vancouver, I'm pretty sure that we'll talk to him about this and um, we'll see what he has to say. Yeah, uh, I mean, but it's, 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 it's not like Jersey Jack have a, a lack of upcoming titles, though, is it? No, because uh, obviously uh, there, there have been plenty of rumors about Toy Story and Willy Wonka coming up, and regardless of in which what uh, order. Uh, but I think from what I uh, um, currently expect is that Guns N' Roses is a title that's going to be after those two games. Uh, but at the moment, Stern's, oh, sorry, um, Jersey Jack's uh, production schedule seems to be about one game every 18 months. Right. So it would be nice to think that uh, if there was a Guns N' Roses game coming out, that it would, we wouldn't have to wait at least another you know, three years or something for that, for that title to appear. Well, again, just like Scott and Easy needed a lot of time to design Total Nuclear Annihilation, uh, maybe Slash needs some time as well. Well, if, if Slash is the game designer on that, or is he working with somebody else? I expect him to be working with somebody else, but it would be... It would surprise me if Slash would not be involved in the game design. Well, who who is designing games at, uh, at Jersey Jack at the moment then? Uh, Pat Lawler, obviously. Eric Meunier, although... Eric Meunier, yeah. Well, he did Pirates, and we'll have to see whether... Uh, but, so, they have two other titles, of which one is... Supposedly be done by Pat Lawler, but yeah. I've, so who is working on on either? Um, well, let's say Pat Lawler supposedly working on Toy Story. Then who is working on Willy Wonka? Well, indeed. Or well, let's assume that uh, let's let's speculate that Pat Lawler is doing both, or is has an overview uh, oversees both projects, shall we say? Because yeah. they both they both seem like projects that would be well, well suited to him. Whereas Guns N' Roses, maybe not so much. Well, it seems to me that Eric Meunier is still pretty busy with finishing up the details in Pirates. Um, yeah, true, but if Guns N' Roses hasn't come out for three years... You know, then there is plenty months. of time for him to, to get into that, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's if it would be, and maybe it would be a surprise designer that we have no clue about that it's working... For Jersey Jack, who knows? Absolutely, yeah. Or maybe, maybe Slash is so across everything he doesn't need to work with anybody. He can do everything. He can come up with a game design and uh, pass it over to production. As uh, multi-talented as he is, maybe, yeah. maybe you're right. Well, well, let's see. So that's um, that seems to be what's happening at Jersey Jack at the moment, right? Uh, so, pinball Magazine number five. No, yes. no, no, hang on, American Pinball. Um, it's far more interesting because we've had absolutely no news whatsoever from, uh, how, from them. How can that be far more interesting <laughs> if there is no news? <laughs> it's still more interesting. Um, we, um, I completely disagree <laughs> with that. <laughs> That's all right. You're allowed to disagree. Um, in the meantime, uh, no news about American Pinball on their second title. They're still manufacturing Houdini's, as far as we're aware. Um, 
Game number um, two, rumoured to be... Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest, indeed, yeah. The uh, one which um, which Joe's been, um, been saying, um, working or been pushing for, try to say, for a, yes. for a while. Yeah. Um, looks like that's, that's going to be the second game. Uh, not out in October, one would guess. Um, it's not this October. Well, it would surprise me. Um, but then again, you never know. And maybe they just want to, I don't know whether they want to show something and then start shipping it six months later or whether Stern is now sort of dictating the market, like now you show it and you have it ready to ship. Yeah, uh, I don't think American Pinball have a a big seminar taking place at Pinball Expo, do they? Yeah, I think they do, actually. Um, And they also have a seminar in Vancouver, so... And we'll probably bother Joe at the at the VIP party as well, seeing uh, yeah. what 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 beans he's willing to spill. Okay, well, uh, stay tuned to see what we manage to manage to uh, dig up from from that event. And right. uh, yeah, say uh, we've got some ideas of what we're going to do for that event um, up in Vancouver. And uh, we're going to have a ball. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, we we were actually thinking about doing this pinball podcast up there as well doing it as a live version but i think we need to get this out a bit earlier and uh, then we can we can look at doing something a bit different right up there so okay then so, moving on yeah moving on yeah to pinball magazine number yes, five being exactly and shipping. exactly it is apparently um yes. uh is it shipping um i shipped copies <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll give you the full uh, the the full update. Print, uh, the magazine is printed and is uh, uh, in stock. Um, I've also been looking at shipping uh, or making the magazine available through Amazon.com for US customers. Um, believe me when I tell you that there is a lot of. Uh, administration work involved in setting up an account and making sure that the uh, products are listed and then you have to ship inventory and it has to meet certain criteria and uh, if you don't then they're they're going to charge extra for this and they're going to charge extra for that and then you look at all the fees that they are applying and you're wondering like why am I even doing this because I don't see how it's going to be cheaper for anybody other than that they will be shipping quicker than I am because Mm -hmm. I ship uh, pinball magazine orders uh, in monthly batches, and they will be shipping out within two, three days. Plus, plus you get the the visibility, I guess, on the Amazon website. Right. So, okay. So that's one thing. So I'm giving it a, a, a try. But um, so the first thing I run into is that um, I would need to prepare every magazine as postal ready, so to speak, or sh- ready for shipping, meaning that it already has to be. Uh, packed in a uh, wrapping material in a cardboard box, so they don't want to do anything unless you pay them for it, you know. And so, so they basically have it on the shelf, take it off the shelf, yeah, give it put to the courier, and out the door it is. Yeah, yeah, right. okay. So that basically means that I have to pack, pre-pack everything, put it in boxes, ship it to them, so that they can put it on the shelf and then ship it out whenever somebody orders. Um, so the, uh, the 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 most silly problem I ran into is that if people are familiar with the uh, the, the way I package 
people magazines when they ship out, uh, they actually go into a um, uh, what's it called? A plastic wrap. Then oh, there can, is a I've got a bubble wrap. Bag, no, that's that's the oh, next. That's, oh, okay. Sorry. That's, that's the second here. one. The bubble wrap sack, I think it's called. And then there is the cardboard box that folds around the magazine. Yeah, the outer. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. And um, uh, the manufacturer of uh, the bubble wrap sacks that I uh, like to use actually didn't have them in stock, um, and they will be manufacturing them at the end of this week. Um, and so, because I already called like two weeks ago, and they told me it won't be in stock until like September 5th or 6th. Um, but I still had some in stock, and I figured, okay, then let's start shipping those with the, the bubble, sack racks, uh, bubble wrap sacks that I currently have. Um, now, the bad news, or the good news is, I got so many orders already that I don't have enough um, uh, bubble wrap sacks to uh, fulfill all those orders. Um, and then um, someone on Pinside, I've got a uh, retro pack something, um, I mentioned it in a newsletter that I sent out, asked me whether I would be doing um, a little extra for those who order the magazine uh, first. And I figured, well, I had thought about that but completely forgot because I have been swamped with other things I needed to do and um, this Amazon thing is taking up a lot of uh, time as well. Sure. Um, since I have to be waiting for those bubble sack, uh, bubble wrap sacks, I decided, okay, yes, let's do a little something extra. So the delay that's caused by the, the packing material not being available actually allows me to put in a little extra for everybody who is already ordering the magazine and um, still ship that out. So I started shipping those who already got the magazine, uh, which is a handful of people in the Netherlands. Um, they will be getting the extra as well. I'll be shipping that later uh, once they come in. But for the rest, of it, I figured it made sense to include it in the same package and not ship something twice because I'd be losing money on that. So, sure. um, but, but so all that will be in the the Amazon package as well as the ones yes. which are shipped directly from from you. Yes, yes, exactly. So basically, once I get back from Vancouver, which is uh, uh, like a week from now, basically means I will start um, uh, prepping all the magazines, all the orders that have come in, uh, including the extras, which will be actually manufactured during the time that I'm away to Vancouver and when I come back they will drop those off and so in timing wise that that adds up perfectly yeah um, that's good news so but but you, you will have some for sale over in Vancouver as well though won't you yes but they won't have the extras they won't have the extras yet no okay yeah so um, and as far as the magazine goes okay I had a little contest on Facebook and uh, Pinball magazine guess the uh, amount of pages, the number of pages included in this issue. Um, and I have to tell you, it was very, very tempting to uh, enter that, that quiz, seeing as I actually had a copy of your draft magazine here um, right. as part of the review process that we're, we're right. doing. Um, so but I managed to avoid it. Right. Um, the interesting thing was, um, I'll, 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 I'll explain this to the listeners, um, we had the UK pin test last weekend 
um, where I actually brought a black and white preview of the magazine because the printed copies hadn't come in yet. So I went to a local copy shop, did a full black and white print uh, on a photocopier, took that in, but I took the page numbers of each page. I removed the page number so you couldn't see, like, because several people came up to me and they were like, hey, can I take a look? Yeah, sure, sure. And the first thing they do is go to the back and see if they could find any page numbers. Um, what's interesting to notice that um, while I took the page numbers our, uh, away from the, the, the sing single pages, I didn't take them away from the uh, content listing. So if anybody wanted to have a guest, if they would have looked at the content listing, they could have seen so, but uh, eventually we got a uh, uh, we got a winner who uh, guessed the correct amount of pages, which is a stunning three hundred and sixty. Yes, um, which is actually also the maximum number of pages that my printer can include. In yeah, fact, I, I guess from the binding, it can't can't yes. get any thicker than that. I guess exactly. And uh, interestingly, I even had to leave out a, uh, one of the articles that was supposed to go in there because there was simply no more room for it. That will become available for free online. It's an interview with uh, pinball designer John Osborne, who worked at Gottlieb alongside with uh, Wayne Nyans. He talks about working with Wayne, but also very interestingly about uh, Gottlieb's transition from electromechanical games to solid-state games. Mm. Yeah. And that will become probably available in like a week or two. I'll have to see. The interview is edited, but I still have to do the layout and all that kind of stuff. But with Amazon taking up all that time, I haven't gotten into that. And Oh, well, we'll get to it. Yeah, good. Okay. And um, I have to say, um, at the UK Pinfest, I... I brought that, that copy and the response of people was really amazing. Everybody was like, wow. Someone said, this isn't a book, this is a Bible, which I guess is a compliment. Mm, yeah, not too preachy, one hopes. But yes, yeah, it's, um, it's certainly something which there's no way anyone's ever going to be able to read um, in any depth at a show like that. You show it to them and they're just, uh, what can they do other than just look at it and admire the, the thoroughness of everything that's in it? They they, they can't sit down and read it because they'll be they'll be there for for days. I know Gary Flower tried to, but he didn't get through it. No. Oh well, I've I've got that copy now, so uh, I'm going to spend some time reading it and uh, reviewing it, and um, look out for a review on Pimble News pretty shortly. Um, so thanks for the, the update on uh, Pimble Magazine number five, which was yep. available on the uh, Pimble Magazine website now and will be available at shows. We are available at Vancouver. Uh, is it Tommy selling it at Vancouver? Yes, Tommy will be selling it. Um, Steve okay. Young of the Pimble Resource will also be selling it. And, um, and Rob Anthony, I guess, at Pimble Expo will be selling Rob it. Rob Anthony as well. at Pimble Expo. Um, the Terra Technica Museum in Czech, uh, the Czech Republic will mm -hmm. also be selling it. Um, they're also featured in the, in the magazine, so that sort of makes sense. Um, and I also got a request from, um, Little Shop of Games in Florida. Oh, yeah. They are yeah, interested in, yeah. in selling it as well. So, uh, plenty of places to, uh, to get it and Amazon. Uh, of course, cool. but that will uh, take a couple of weeks before uh, they have inventory. Are the, uh, are the Pacific Pinball Museum selling it still? Um, 
we haven't discussed it yet. I expect they might be interested since you a lot of the so, games in the there subject are... Matter. Right. So, um, what's interesting, by the way, and since we're on the subject of uh, the magazine and Wayne Nyans, I did talk to Wayne Nyans uh, earlier this week. Um, he gave me a couple of uh, comments on the magazine because he had a, a preview as well. Uh, actually, today, his copies shipped out um, that I'm sending to him by uh, by courier, um, but uh, it's interesting to note that um, the um, uh, Pacific Pinball Museum had have, have picked up uh, Wayne's Spirit of '76 pinball machine, which he had in his yep. garage, which mm-hmm. was actually the ten thousandth game oh, that wow. uh, came off the uh, production line at the time at Gottlieb. Um, the complete story is in Pinball Magazine number five, where uh, Wayne predicted that the game would sell uh, 10,000 units and nobody believed him. So Judd Weinberg, president of the company at the time, said if that game sells 10,000 units, that 10,000 game is yours. And that actually happened. So that game is now being picked up by the um, uh, Pacific Pinball Museum. Pacific Pinball Museum. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Wayne and I, I mentioned to him I thought it was a pity that they didn't give him an, another game in return. <laughs> so, but I might wow. uh, might mention that to them and who knows? Um, you know, give him a. Uh, he loves his Queen of Hearts, so if they have a spare Queen of Hearts, ship that to Wayne. You know, I mean, give give. Uh, what else is the uh, is he supposed to be doing? You know, so. True. And um, just as a, a sort of footnote to that um, and, a, and a blatant plug for people news, um, let me mention that um, one of your collaborators in Pimble Magazine um, and copy editors and contributors, Gordon Hassey, is doing a, um, an article about Wayne's 100th birthday for Pimble News and that should be uh, available fairly soon. It's actually, actually something new we're doing. We're doing it's, it's kind of like a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, but an online version of it. So we're, we're, tr- we're coming up with a new idea. Exactly the best way to tell the story of that. Right. Um, Make sure that you uh, mention Pimble Magazine number five, as Gordon <laughs> Hesse wrote a, uh, a great part of the uh, of the cover Absolutely. story as well. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, but carrying on the Pimble News. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So you're allowed to blatantly plug yourself, and every time <laughs> I want to do, uh, we got to talk about this later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have talked about it, so there you go. It's all <laughs> all's fair. Um, yeah, it was just a little little side article which was uh, brought to my attention by I forget exactly who it was who, who mentioned it, but uh, it was uh, yeah, there's a story from from Italy about. Um, oh, that was me. Yes, that's funny guy. Of course it was. Yes, now now I remember. Yes, Um, yes. In Italy, there was um, there was uh, they've been having some new legislation coming up. Basically, Um, they've had um, a new uh, some new laws which um, have been sort of fairly wide ranging. Ranging, I should say. Um, And one of the things which they have covered is um, gambling over there and. changing the laws and exactly what's allowed as far as gambling goes when it comes to things like slot machines and what the limits might be, how many outlets might be available and how many places you can play slot machines. And the um, the 
Deputy Prime Minister said that their intention is to try and cut down on the number of, of slot machines out there, and he recommended that people who are operating slot machines should get rid of them and should replace them with pinball machines. Right. Uh, now, that, that's, um, for those who um, have a, a long memory or uh, in, interest in the history of pinball, uh, will certainly remember that pinball was seen as um, one of the one of the evils of gambling way back in the uh, the, the I don't know the thirties forties fifties. Actually, it was back then. Yes, and um, w- was banned obviously with you know, in various cities around the U.S. as being you know, something which would corrupt children um, and on which which people were were losing huge amounts of money, losing their their monthly salary in just a couple of hours in gambling on pinball machines. So it was curious to see that uh, the pinball is now seen as a sort of healthy, family friendly alternative to slot machines, and being advocated by the Italian government as being the, the way that um, way forward and, and something which which should be used to replace slot machines as um, whether that actually comes to pass, whether there's a big sudden rush for pinball machines within within Italy and to replace all those slot machines that have been taken off location, or indeed whether any of those laws ever get into uh, onto the statute book and uh, are turned into actual legislation and, and laws, we don't know because it's, it's still a fairly early stage. This it's is also Italy, so it could take a while. Uh, I could, and, and it's quite likely there'll be a complete change of government before any of that happens. But uh, but it's nice to see that happening, and, and pinball um, being highlighted as being a, a very in a positive way, and being something which um, operators should be should be uh, operating, um, as opposed to the the more um, dubious um, and more profitable, let's be fair, um, stock machines which um, have, have taken over many of the locations that pinball used to have. So, uh, let's, fingers crossed that that actually turns into something positive. Well, what could be interesting is that um, Stern's importer in Italy is uh, Technoplay, um, who actually used to make pinball machines themselves years and years and years ago. Um, if this would be, this law would be taken into effect and um, there all of a sudden appears to be a huge demand for uh, pinball machines. Who knows what Technoplay might decide to do? Uh, they haven't built pinball machines in ages, but never say never. No, and, and of course Technoplay is not the only company that used to make pinball machines that's still out there in Italy. Uh, the Zachariah, for instance, well, actually, uh, still exists. As a, uh, as, a, as a manufacturer or as a company, anyway. Well, that's Technoplay. Uh, it's run by the uh, the sons of the uh, Zakaria brothers who actually formed the um, uh, the Zakaria pinball brand. But the, yeah, the brand is still still out there at the right. moment. And, and uh, interestingly, since we were mentioning the UK uh, Pinfest, hmm. there was this X Force game, but which was actually. Uh, a Technoplay game, which was actually a... Uh, it's a very interesting game, I have to say. I've never seen one before. And I recommend everybody uh, look up X-Force on IPDB. Um, it's a very unusual uh, game, or at least it has some, some unusual mechanics. It has 
uh, stand-up targets that drop down in the playfield, but completely different than you've ever seen before, at least for me. But a, a little bit like the Dragon game, but um, but slightly different. Yes, they were, yeah. some of them were linked together as well, which was a bit right. a little odd. But what what's also interesting is that there is a um, uh, a kick out in the left out lane that kicks the ball out, but um, there is a diverter that pops up uh, from the playfield. Either the ball goes straight up the ramp, or it takes a curve and it goes back onto the playfield uh, onto the right. Uh, That's but right. Look look up. Uh, I thought that was very innovative. So or, or take a look at that game. It's very interesting. It was also suitably temperamental, should we say, um, in, in exactly how it worked and whether it, whether it would work. And uh, the little diverter th- uh, mechanism on the left-hand side, sometimes it would, it would work, sometimes it would operate fast enough, sometimes it wouldn't. And um, every oh, now and again, every now and again, the game would lock up completely and require a depower to, to bring it back again. But... Okay, that's yeah. all software. We can well, software, hardware. It's 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 technology basically, and it's it's of a certain age, and it becomes a little more uh, temperamental and unreliable with age. But uh, well, just like but the yes. Italian government, so <laughs> exactly. So it brings us full circle. So, oh. uh, so that, that's that's Italian pinball uh, mentioned. Right. Um, so also, thank you. Blatantly plugs your pinball uh, pinball news uh, website. Um, I would like to actually point out uh, an article that I read on there about um, gambling, pin games, and manufacturer perspectives mm-hmm. uh, that you put up there like two weeks ago, which actually I found a very very interesting read. Uh, that was an article that was done by Nicholas Baldrich, um, Stephen Dulefell, and Dennis Creasel. Um, so if you're interested in, in the historic uh, uh, gambling relation between pinball and, um, and gambling, all that sort of stuff, do check out that article uh, on pinballnews.com. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, Dennis has been very kind. Uh, Dennis is a, is a noted and, and a very, very successful podcaster, and he's written a number of uh, articles for Pinball News and, and as well as other outlets. Uh, and this is one which he teamed up with Nicholas and Stephen, and uh, and they did this. Uh, yeah, well, it was really, really interesting. And in fact, Dennis has done another one since then. Uh, yeah, about, about looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, so it's. Um, we well, we'll try and get a, a nice range of, of different voices um, and different authors within uh, Pinball News, um, so it's not all you know the same, done the same style. And yeah, you get get some some really interesting ones. Um, and that one you mentioned about gambling, pin games, and the pinball and the manufacturer perspectives um, is was picked up um, going back to our, our good friend Gordon Hassey, also right. mentioned something about that as well, and uh, made a comment which. Um, which um, uh, was something which would hadn't been hadn't been um, examined. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm jumping ahead really to to the more recent article about uh, middle pop um, that, that Dennis wrote. Um, but it's interesting the, the feedback you get on these things, and it's nice for us to be able to publish something that's a, sort of more of a long form article as well, like. Like uh, it doesn't all need to be short stuff. It doesn't all need to be long, but it must have a variation in in the in the length of of the article. You know, some of these te- you know, right. could take up to twenty minutes to read, to read or whatever. So, uh, yeah. So thanks thanks to Dennis and Stephen and Nicholas for all, all their their uh, skillful contributions there. And thank oh. thank you for you for, for pointing that out. I didn't know you were going to do that. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not that hard. You should try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but um, speaking of the uh, middle pop article, I can. Uh, uh, it's interesting to. Uh, I think it's interesting to mention that um, I had intended to publish uh, the middle pop article in Pimble Magazine number five. Obviously, there was no more room for it. Um, so it's. I was thinking of doing that, postponing that to a future article. Still have to uh, to read the article that Dennis put up, but uh, middle pop games actually is an a subject that I find very interesting. So I'll be looking forward to reading that article later tonight. Excellent. Okay. Well, again, thanks to Dennis for doing that one. Okay. So moving on then to um, I'd say the UK Pinfest um, because we have. An interview with um, uh, uh, Michael Inouski of HomePin, and we already mentioned the UK PinFest uh, for having the export game and several other stuff. Yeah, stores. indeed. But before we get to um, to Mike's interview, and um, which is which is really interesting because we were able to um, listen to his seminar, um, which was which I should mention is also available online. If uh, you want to want to watch that, that's on um, YouTube. Um, links are through the Pinball News article for that. But uh, we also Not had a shameless our... plug. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get it, I get it. Well, I, I would I would try and work out what the YouTube link was, but I'll give you a you know, YouTube slash KZVW3927 or whatever it is. It's not that, by the way. Um, and then um, you wouldn't remember it. So uh, if you go to Pinball News, you can, you can, the links are all there. You can watch them all, all three seminars that they had all in, in, in order. Oh. But we also had our, our own reporter there, didn't we? Um, Yes, who was, was able to bring us the the live happenings from the floor? Right. So um, usually Gary Flower interrupts in the in the the, the, the most impossible moments during our podcast, uh, calling us. And um, this time we actually figured, okay, yeah. since Gary's at the show, let's switch to Gary and have him report live from the show uh, at the UK Pinfest. So over to Gary. Yes, Gary. Gary, can you come in? Yes. Hello? Gary, you're live. I can't hear you, Gary. Speak up. Gary, can you hear us? Oh. I, I, guess, I guess that didn't really work out as well as we... I don't hoped. think he's aware that he's live right now, so... Okay, well, we'll, we'll sort out the technical gremlins and we'll, we'll come back we'll to it. We'll try that after we air the, uh, the interview with yeah. uh, Mike Kalinowski of, uh, of HomePin. But before we go there, um, any comments on the UK PinFest? Yeah, it was it was good to have a, a, a national UK show back. We had a couple of uh, years without one. Uh, Andrew Highway ran the show m most recently for, I don't know, probably about six, seven years. Into the ground? Uh, no, I think it was, uh, it was generally successful. He, he certainly used it as a promotional tool for Highway Pinball. Um, I think it was well received by the people who were there. It was always expensive, and there were various things uh, that went on at that show which were you know, either successful or not successful from your point of view. You know, they always used to have a Saturday night banquet, which... Well, which a guest speaker was flown over. Um, we had a lot of, lot of very prominent guests at that show, designers, pinball manufacturers, company owners, that kind of thing, uh, which we wouldn't have had otherwise in the UK. We'd have had to, I don't know, go to maybe somewhere like the, the Dutch Pinball Open, but more on that later. Um, so we had that. But again, those meals were expensive. 
and not necessarily very good quality. So, you know, the swings and roundabouts again is, is sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but there was, it was good to have a, a national show where you can have the focus of the tournaments, the league finals, and where everybody could come together. Uh, but th- that was then missing for the past couple of years due to various reasons. Um, you know, Andrew was tied up in other ways. Um, but now all that's out the way and, and Phil, Phil Murphy's come back and uh, said, I know we need this show. Um, he's a show organizer for, for other events and he wanted to hold this show. So he did it. And, um, UK Pinfest back at the same hotel where UK Pinball Party was for a number of years. And, uh, yeah, I know over a hundred pinball machines there. We had the, the UK Pinball Open, the UK Pinball Classic was there. The league finals were there. Uh, there, was, there wasn't a, a sort of Saturday night banquet, but there were Friday night, Saturday night VIP sessions right. uh, where, where people could get to play machines in uh, more space and with a few people around and play some of the tournament machines, which wouldn't otherwise have been available. Right. And um, Lots of yeah. pinball streaming from the show as well. You're absolutely right, yeah. There was um, Neil, Neil was there doing the Domino Pinball stuff. Um, Tim was there doing the Pinball Live stuff. All that's available on their respective websites and on YouTube, I believe, and, and probably on Twitch and every every streaming outlet that you you uh, frequent. You will find details of those. Um, yeah, the tournament finals or the final rounds were available from Pinball Live. Neil on Domino did... Um, the seminars, so they are there, and again, link through Pinball News um, uh, for ease of use. And um, yeah, there's a, there were and there were also some some uh, sort of um, smaller tournaments or, or competitions held um, in the VIP sessions as well. So it was uh, it was nice to be back uh, in Daventry. I think everybody loves having a, a show in a hotel. You know, the fact that you can. If you buy something or you're just feeling a bit exhausted or whatever, you just get back to your room, have a little lie down and make a cup of tea or whatever, come back or head off to the bar and wander back to the to the floor anytime you want. And uh, that's something which um, I think has been picked up for American shows where they were, they've been held in hotels. And uh, the Dutch Pinball Open as well is, is another one which, which uh, for a couple of years was held in in. Uh, in a very nice hotel. Um, that was a long time ago, but okay. It was yeah, indeed, right. yeah. I, well, I was there. I remember it. And um, it's it's something which um, I, I would certainly advocate as being a very positive move, if, if it's at all possible, or at least, you know, not necessarily in the same building, but within a, you know, a couple of minutes' walk. And talking of which, this weekend in Toronto, you know, the uh, I think it's about about ten minute walk from the from the venue to the hotel. Ten minutes. Well, uh, if you're walking slowly, um, probably five for for you and me. Um, but it's it's close enough that um, I dare say there'll be uh, getting a chance to see a little bit of uh, Vancouver as as we're uh, going to. I'm involve. very curious. I've never been there. So. Oh, it's a lovely city. I've been there several times, and uh, I, I I can recommend a number of places to go. We'll talk about that later. And uh, right. but, but anyway, so that was the UK Pin Fest. Um, right. Thanks to Phil for organising that. And uh, that was that was one of the seminars there. There were three seminars there. Um, there was um, Team Pinball. Team Pinball. Yeah, who we'll talk about in a minute. Um, there was Dennis van der Pass and uh, Gerard um, from... Van der Sanden, yes. Van Sanden from uh, Pinnovating. Or, uh, I guess that's, um, that's really Dennis's 
company. Um, right. Gerard uh, is uh, hosting the uh, Dutch Pinball Museum, um, but he worked with Dennis on uh, realizing his dream of uh, building a Matrix pinball machine. And uh, and Dennis just showed off his a uh, Kill Bill uh, pinball machine and uh, also his very first um, uh, attempt at reprogramming uh, reprogramming a game, uh, Demolition Man on steroids. All three games were actually at the at the show floor. Yes, I don't think that's, that's been done before, has it? I, well, I haven't seen the, those three machines together, and uh, yeah, it was uh, fascinating to see. The, I mean, Demolition Man, if you haven't played the on steroids version, it's it's very, very different to the original. It has a, a very different mindset to it. And um, I think it's it's probably not the way you do an operator game, but it's certainly the way you do a, a home model of that of that particular machine. And um, it, a lot of thought's gone into exactly how that should be reprogrammed. So, uh, yeah, Dennis is a very talented guy. And uh, hopefully we'll see a lot more from him in the future. But he was doing the second seminar. Uh, and the third one on, on Sunday afternoon was from uh, was from Mike um, Kalinowski. Yes. Is that right? Is that yes. how you pronounce it? Kalinowski? Kalinowski yeah. from uh, Homepin. Um, originally Australia-based, but the factory is actually located in China. Um, it was uh, Mike's first time uh, over in the UK, uh, Europe actually, I think. And uh, of course, there was a Thunderbirds game um, on the uh, on the show floor. Um, you want to discuss the game too? Yeah, I'd, I'd got to play it at the Northwest Pinball Show um, when um, Nitro Pinball had it there on their stand, and um, it was that was a, a, an earlier version which had a, a, a different centre ramp to it, which was a lot more temperamental than the one uh, which was on display on the production model that we were seeing. I think it was still it was still still officially a prototype that was, that was at the UK Pinfest, but it is. I think the ramp is, is very similar to the, the production version and there was a lot more accepting of, of fast shots up the middle of the game. Um, very bright, very very colourful game, um, some interesting shots and features on it as well. Um, I, um, it's interesting to hear Mike talk about why there's a um, an orange uh, DMD on the game as opposed to a colour LCD and and or he did a colour DMD and the various steps they took. Um, Mike's seminar was was actually very instructive in in many ways. I think in um, describing all the things which can and often do go wrong uh, when you start up a new pinball company. Even though he's he's a sort of an established manufacturer and, and uh, engineer, to see. You think that just going to China is is like the 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 uh, thing that solves all your problems? You get lots of cheap labour and and um, no problem with manufacturing. Everything's right there. But no, there are lots of things which do happen, which um, anybody who's tried manufacturing in China will be aware of. But the rest of us had absolutely no idea. No, the fact that they set up their entire factory in one particular province and then. There's a change of, of mind or change of heart, and they decide uh, at the governmental level that no, they don't want all this manufacturing and all the pollution that comes from it in, in this region, so they boot everybody out, or 
they make it sufficiently difficult for companies that they can't carry on building or manufacturing uh, anything that produces a lot of pollution. They want to make all the industry there um, IT-based, um, so they must make it so difficult that you can't carry on there and you end up moving off to another region uh, where, of course, everybody is moving there, so all the rents go up and you don't get the, the cheap property, you don't get the cheap labour either because uh, they have uh, minimum wages and, uh, you know, some of their some of their employment laws are... Um, Way advance, way, way more advantageous to employees than they are in many other, what we might think of as, as more industrialized countries. Um, but despite all that, Mike's um, just moved to the new company premises in the new area and uh, got everything set up to start building a games. And uh, now he showed a lot of stuff um, behind the scenes. Um, it was very upfront with um, personal tragedies that have occurred in his life. Uh, as well as um, all the things which, which he, all the lessons he's learned over the years of, of trying to build products. Uh, Mike is not, I don't, I think it's fair to say, Mike's not a salesman. He is, he's an engineer, he's a businessman, he's a, a talented guy who knows how to get things done. He's not somebody who's going to schmooze you and tell you that everything's going to be wonderful and, um, make promises that he's not able to keep he he is very down to earth and uh, an honest guy and i i'd never met him before and after meeting him i came away with a quite quite a respect for the guy um you know he's somebody who's he's a pragmatist he gets stuff done um even if it ends up you know sort of breaking balls a bit in order to get it to happen right uh, was that your impression of, of mike Oh yeah, um, I usually talk to Mike about every every two months or so. Uh, uh, we Skype. Um, I think he's just a um, um, I wouldn't call it a typical Australian guy, but he's just uh, he's a no nonsense type of guy. He just speaks his mind, um, still in a um, uh, respectful way, or at least he can explain why he's saying something. Some people. Uh, uh, tend to be offended by the way that he does it. I just think he's a, he's a straightforward guy and the, the, the type who doesn't like to bullshit around things. Yeah, that's what, I mean by, that's what I mean by saying he's not a salesman. He's, uh, yes. he's, he's not going to um, tell you what you want to hear necessarily. He's going to tell you how it is. Right. So, um, For me, it was the first time playing the game. I was... Um, Geom- uh, Geometry-wise or shop-wise, I could see. I would. I would like to have seen certain things a little different. Um, in the sense that I figured, like, okay, so why did you do it like this? But there's a story behind everything. And at some point, he just said he was like, okay, we had to go. We had to move on. Okay, it's going to be this, and then let's move on. Else, the thing never gets done. Um, so, okay. That's understandable. Um, I had heard some uh, people reporting that it wasn't that that interesting. Um, actually, I found it um, I found it rather interesting to play. Um, so it's very tempting to just simply shoot for the uh, uh, the left uh, up and down ramp that you have to uh, knock down because that's that's easily the biggest or the easiest shot on the whole game. Uh, but then you're just 
killing all the fun for yourself because then you're just making the same shot over and over again. But there's uh, more shots in the game to make. And um, no, I think for a first game, um, I think you can be proud. Yeah, okay. So shall we shall we listen to our, our interview with Mike? Uh, which, yes. Um, just remind you that uh, Mike had done his seminar. He'd answered a certain number of questions, and I'd recommend you you watch or listen to to the seminar first uh, before, um, if you possibly can, uh, because there's a certain number of things which we've taken for granted that we didn't ask him to to repeat things he'd already said, but we did ask him to develop on some a number of points um, uh, in our interview, which I think went on for quite a long time and. Um, so let's uh, let's let's go over now to our interview with Mike um, at the UK Pinfest, um, where he is talking about Thunderbirds and the development of the game and the um, the way that uh, the company Homepin uh, was formed. Mike Kalinowski from Homepin, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for being on our uh, uh, monthly free podcast. Um, actually, this is the second time we have an interview, a special guest. So. I feel privileged and honoured. Yeah, um, you manufacture. Well, you've been for the past five years. You've been on and off working on the development of home uh, of the Thunderbirds game yes. for your home pin uh, brand. Um, the machine is finally available and being manufactured. Congratulations on that. Thank you. How's the response been so far? Quite good. Uh, you've seen it yourself this weekend here in Daventry. The um, Majority of people who play it have positive things to say. Uh, it's been well received. We've had a couple of minor issues, which is to be expected. That's pinball. But uh, I think overall, the majority of people that played it uh, have felt positive about the game. And um, yeah, I'm very happy with the response. Okay. So when you first started down this journey and wanted to produce your own pinball, you decided to do that. Um, th- you picked Thunderbirds as a theme, uh, and but what was the what were the sort of overriding criteria that your first game needed to have? Well, being a new entrant to the market, obviously we we didn't think that it made sense to come in with an unlicensed theme straight up. So we looked around for various things that that would fit the bill, and the first and most important probably was that it needed to be family friendly. We did not want to make uh, Walking Dead, for example, or or even BSD for that matter, because we needed it to appeal to everybody. You know, something like a Playboy, for example, obviously offends a lot of people, or or the wife wouldn't have it in the house, and so on. So we wanted something that was neutral and family friendly, and Thunderbirds fits that bill perfectly. Well, Thunderbirds is, is a license which is known worldwide. Sure, it's in certain key markets. So yes. are those are the markets you're looking to address. No, look, originally, uh, it, it, when we first decided to make pinball machines, JJP had just started on the scene and was had announced Wizard of Oz not not long before we came on the scene, and it was pretty obvious there was going to be a bit of a head to head battle with Stern and, and JJP was looming. I didn't want to get involved in that, and that most certainly uh, influenced our decision on on choosing Thunderbirds because we knew that Thunderbirds was not terribly well known in America but it is very well known outside America and uh, in fact you know Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, Britain of course and the majority of Europe uh, Thunderbirds is exceptionally well known and it's just not very well known in America so that actually suited our plan perfectly because 
it was a machine that would not target America and therefore we wouldn't be drawn into the battle between Stern and JJP. And that was fine by me. We could stay right out of that. But it is surprising how much interest we have had from America, with that said. Mm. Okay, well, good for you. Um, aside from um, the theme for the first game, what were your ideas or plans to achieve with this first game? Well, our, our game, we certainly were not attempting at any any stage to make the next medieval madness. That was never our goal or intention. And uh, I, I've been shown various comments where people are trying to compare it to various different machines and saying that it hasn't got the same gameplay as other machines. Well, that's fine. We know that because it was never our intention. We wanted a fairly simple machine that was colourful, lively, friendly, with good sound, that two half-drunk guys in a pub could go up and bash the ball around, have a bit of fun and walk away thinking that that was a great thing and they'll do it again. That was our intention. And um, similarly, in a home environment, something the kids could play, something that was not... Uh, you know, 10 deep in rules that that you had to be Einstein to work out exactly what you needed to do. It needed to be a very simple game. That's why, basically, there's, there's six missions and that fits with the Thunderbirds. The Thunderbirds went on missions and you have to achieve those six missions to uh, beat the game, if you like. And that was our main objective. And we did not want a machine that was too complicated. And by doing all of that, we also hoped to keep the price as low as possible. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because obviously you're up against a number of other manufacturers producing games at varying price points. Well, where did you see your game fitting in um, in the market as far as price goes? Well, I've, I'm not terribly involved in the price as such because I run the factory and the engineering side of things and that's why I've basically handed in the entire sales and marketing across to Highway Games Australia who have a very, very long history and record of, of selling both pinball machines they used to be the Williams agents for Australia and um, and various arcade games around the world they've got some fantastic contacts and they they are the a very good choice for us because they handle global sales they, they handle global sales right. absolutely and uh, that takes the pressure off me I can concentrate on the factory and on on new new machines and and just making sure things work properly uh, at a machine level rather than needing to bother about the the, the difficulties of marketing and sales and all that sort of thing. But our machine, certainly from what I have seen, uh, is priced very attractively in the market, uh, in most markets, and um, I'm pretty confident that our our retailers will will be happy to accept the same margins that they're accepting on other pinball machines, which will keep our machine very competitively priced when you when you put it up against any other manufacturer. Did you have a, a bill of materials in mind when you when you started making it, or did it, it no, came, not at all. As it came no, out, no, no, we had a, a a drawing on a whiteboard, and we basically built the machine to suit what we wanted. Mm -hmm. And the actual cost of building it came later because we wanted it to be a certain thing. And realistically, because we're making in China, our costs on adding an additional mechanism and so on are probably a lot lower than many other people. Um, even though I strongly suspect that uh, they're using a lot of Chinese-made parts as well. Um, we don't deny that, like some do, and uh, we we can easily incorporate an additional mech or so without breaking the bank. Right, okay. Um, you mentioned you had a drawing on a whiteboard. Um, mm. There has been some speculation about who designed the game. Um, can you tell more about the designer of the game or the 
team well, that the, designed the game? Or? We we didn't have any one person design the game. Uh, it was a collaborative effort between uh, several people, including myself. Uh, I had people submit things to me and and parts of things, not entirely, not in the entire playfield, bits and pieces. We took some good parts of this and deleted some bad parts of that, and basically fudged it all together to what we believe became a workable machine there's a couple of little errors and a couple of little areas we believe we could improve but it is what it is and um, there, there certainly was not a single person you can attribute the design to okay I do mention that in the service manual uh, I give credit in the beginning of the service manual to those who have helped home pin along the way to get to this point and um, there's various names mentioned there that people have made more of than than really actually is the case some people have simply given me a tip, just one little tip, and so I've credited them for giving me that little tip. Others have, have given me reams and reams of drawings, and I've also credited them. There's no, no particular strength against any, any, number, any person in those credits. Okay. So working with a licence, obviously, is a bit of a swings and roundabout situation. Um, it brings, obviously, the recognition and a bunch of assets for you to use, but also you have to deal with the licence source and get approval on pretty much everything from them. And other companies have had differing experiences working with different licences. Um, how's it been for you? And who, is it ITC that... Um, ITV. Uh, ITV. Uh, ITV, oh, okay. and uh, right. they've been exceptionally good uh, to us, uh, particularly earlier on uh, when we'd only barely started putting things together and started to get some drawings approved, and uh, then my wife passed away, and... They were exceptionally compassionate and helpful at that time and understood completely what I was going through and the dramas that I was having and uh, they were most helpful to extend the licence dates and all sorts of things where perhaps under other circumstances they may not have been so easy to get on with but they certainly helped me uh, to no end. I was speaking on the phone with them only a couple of days ago and they're overjoyed that we've finally made it over the line and we have finished product now. And uh, but like any license, you're working within their boundaries, not yours. And you submit to them the ideas you have, and you find that very quickly they have differing ideas because after all, it's their license, it's their product, and it's it's their property to protect. Mm. And uh, again, people, some people have mentioned to me, we should have done this, or we shouldn't have done that, or we should have added this, or deleted that, and. Uh, yeah, we had lots of ideas and the original drawings and, and so on differ so much from the finished product it's not funny and uh, it's just and I'm sure other manufacturers have exactly the same problems that we do it's just swings and roundabouts and in the end uh, you know we, we had had so many hold ups and delays with pretty much everything along the way with CE testing with uh, with the licensing with electronic design with just every little single part because as you know we made every single part in the machine so we'd had so many delays and, and things along the way that we finally got a working working drawings that ITV were satisfied with and we weren't game to change them from that we just kept them and ran with it and they're not necessarily 100% to our liking but I think overall if you look at the entire package uh, that it's pleasing enough and it's colourful and it's it's fun and it's vibrant and it's achieved what we set out to, to do initially. Just to do one quick follow-up on that, because obviously when you first started out, the game was Thunderbirds as a go, based on the, the new series, and now it's Thunderbirds. Is that more based back on the, the classic series? Yes, well, I'm glad you brought that up, because 
uh, we initially started the machine, and our license does state Thunderbirds Pinball, and it specifically states that it's classic Thunderbirds is what uh, ITV oh. refer it to as, not the new series. And we'd already basically called our machine tag, Thunderbirds I Go, because that's the tagline for Thunderbirds, and uh, that name is stuck, so the acronym for Thunderbirds is still TAG. And, um, however, yes, the new series is Thunderbirds Are Go, which is, of course, a completely different thing. It's a, it's an animated cartoon-type product rather than the original marionettes. So that's how that came about. But our original licence and current extension of that licence is for classic Thunderbirds. And that was always the intention of what the game was going to be about? Yes, right? it is, yeah, yes. Right, okay. Yeah, that was always our licence. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, research for your design, um, can you walk us through what you did? Um, I can imagine that you probably bought a DVD box or whatever, something like that to watch the old shows. Well, I grew up with Thunderbirds as a kid. After school, uh, I would get home and eagerly wait for Thunderbirds to come on the TV. And uh, to be honest, there was little else in those days. Uh, you know, Thunderbirds was the most exciting thing on TV. There was very little else for kids that was available. There was Mr. Squiggle, which was... Yeah, a little bit kiddie-ish for, for a boy of 14 years of age. And so Thunderbirds was really it. And it was a good action show. It was wholesome. It didn't cause any problem for anyone. They were good guys rescuing people. And so it, it sort of, it was immediately recognisable to me. Right, okay. Um, I think Gary's at the door. Oh, oh let him in. Hang on. Hey, Gary, come on in. Uh, uh, Gary? G'day. Oh, he left oh, already. Gone. Too bad. Oh, okay. Never mind. So, um... Gary's fine. I bump into Gary everywhere. We do too. And talking of Gary's, um, yeah, in your presentation you showed Gary Stern having paid a visit to your manufacturing He did, and I welcomed him uh, to come and have a look and showed him what we were doing at that time. There wasn't very much pinball activity at that time, but uh, we had done some preliminary things which I showed him and he happily showed me the, the video of his new premises and, and uh, we had a good chin wag about things, yes. Okay, so um, he actually, as I understood it, went quite out of his way to actually visit you. Well, yes, I mean, he uh, was attending a um, one of the regular shows in Guangzhou and he rented a car and was driven to our factory, which is probably a two, two and a half hour drive each way. And uh, he did phone me several times on the way, uh, complaining, saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he initially, when he set out, he quite realised that it was a couple of hours away, but um, he did manage to come there and uh, stayed for a couple of hours, yes. Okay. And it was great because he met he met Karen uh, probably six months before, three months before she passed away. So that was that was great. I'm pleased you came. Right. Um, Gary hasn't been the only guest, uh, so to speak, who visited your factory because I understood that um, there's a European uh, reseller uh, from Austria that visited you. Uh, Tommy from Nitro Pinball has visited you. And Indeed. Possibly a couple of others. Yeah, we've had many interesting visitors. I used to put them up on, uh, on one of the uh, forums, but uh, I'm unsure at, uh, how well that was received by some people that... Uh, some people have a vested interest in in uh, trying to pull me down. I don't know what it is, whether it's tall poppy syndrome or they're jealous or something, I'm unsure. But there's a, a handful of people out there that seem to have a bee in their bonnet about me successfully building a pinball machine, I guess. 
I can't really explain why that is. Has that kind of scared you? Has it um, made you feel negative about sharing information? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I put up information and then someone tears you down and all I've done is show some pictures of what we're doing, that's rather disappointing to see somebody um, trying to stir trouble or create problems or twist what you say. It doesn't matter what you say, they'll find some way to twist it in a negative a negative way, so uh, I've basically just stopped buying into that nonsense. Do you think that'll have any n- any negative impact on on sales? Or do you think? That oh, I, I don't. I don't think so either way, and and it disappoints me that I'm not able to put that sort of information up. I do. Uh, I do keep updating our the Home Pin Dot Factory um, Facebook page because basically, uh, even though I can't access that from China because Facebook's blocked in China, and uh, I can get on there sometimes through a VPN, but that's never guaranteed. Mm. Uh, but I have people that look after that website for me and they put up pictures for me and uh, at least we can control that and if people get out of hand, we can look after that, which you can't do on forums. Mm. And I guess that's uh, why Stern, as one example, uh, do the same thing really. They look after their Facebook page and if people get out of hand, they just get zapped off and that's it. And I'm happy to share information with people. That's never been a problem with me. It just disappoints me that there's this small handful of people that seem to be, have a bee in their bonnet about something, and I don't know what it is. Maybe they need medical help, I think. Who knows? Um, this is, uh, as far as I can tell, your first European uh, people show? It's my first time in the UK, yes. Yeah. Um, how's it been so far? Great. Yeah, surprising. It's just like driving around Australia. <laughs> it was a long trip, though. Ten hours from Hong Kong, and then uh, we got into Heathrow at about five in the morning and uh, jumped in a rental car and drove straight up to Daventry about two hours after getting lost a little bit. And uh, So we were pretty zonked by the time we got here, and uh, it took us a day or so to recover, to be honest. Right. Well, you obviously, have, uh, uh, if you're coming from Hong Kong, the jet lag is huge. Yes, it is. Um, you'll I have it's kinder to me on the way home. All right. Um, so actually, um, are you going back to Hong Kong? Because yes. in two weeks there's the Vancouver show as well, where you'll be attending. Yes, I'm going there as well. Yes, Tommy's yeah. invited me again this year, and um, I will be going there. But I'm going back to the factory first, and uh, have to check, make sure that everything's moved to the second factory well, and that there's no big problems there, and and things are still chuffing along, and then I'll head off to Vancouver, but I'm only in Vancouver for three or four days. Right, okay. So you mentioned The bigger problem is then after Vancouver, I've got to go to Pinfest in Australia, so it's a pretty busy time at this end of the year, but I, I'm going to do what I can to make sure I don't have that problem next year. Right, well, obviously, since you're sort of the face of the company, mm. uh, it's not that weird that you have to make appearances. Yeah, some people expect that. <laughs> like well, yourself. Are you now at the stage where... Where the manufacturing can just go ahead without you having to be there. Pretty much. I'm very, very lucky that uh, Amanda is there to keep tabs on things and uh, she really cracks the whip more than I ever would. And um, being Taiwanese, she obviously knows how to keep the the workers under control. And Her background is interesting as well. Her first job out of of school was working at a uh, claw machine factory in Taiwan. And uh, so she has experience in the industry as well. Pinball is, since you're manufacturing in China, it's hardly known in China. Yeah, um, not at all. Um, if Pinball were to break into China, how would you think that would happen? 
Well, that's our goal. We, uh, our next machine is, is directly targeting the Chinese market, but we believe that it's, its broad appeal, it's an unlicensed title, by the way, but its broad appeal will also be uh, sought in the West as well. And um, we believe that there's many bars and uh, other um, arcades and things where the Chinese will be happy to put the machine because they'll know what it is. At the moment, showing a Chinese person a pinball machine is a waste of time. They don't know what a pinball machine is. And uh, the few people we have actually got to play our Thunderbirds machine on site and so on are, are quite intrigued and quite happy to play it, but they have no clue what Thunderbirds is. And and similarly, they have no clue what what The Walking Dead is or, or ACDC or... You know, Pirates of the Caribbean, they have no idea because those things aren't seen in China. It's simply not available. So firstly, they don't know what a pinball machine is and then they don't know what the theme is. They're just not attracted to it no matter what. And that includes Thunderbirds. Right. So, uh, so our goal is to put a theme out there that the Chinese do know and are attracted to first and then find out that it's a pinball second. Okay. And does that mean that the game has to be more simplistic because uh, so you're not overwhelming people? It will certainly be simplistic, but simplistic in the way that Thunderbirds is simplistic. Uh, I don't th think Thunderbirds is such a simple game myself. Some people do, but the ones that do are, are very keen competitive competition pinball players. And that, that is not our target market for Thunderbirds, and it's certainly not our target market for the second machine either. And uh, so we believe that a, a game with with enough rules, but a simple enough rule set that can easily be understood, will be able to target that market. And the market in China is vastly different to the to the Western market. Uh, yes, there's two billion people, but to say I'm going to sell to two billion people is a little bit tricky because if you're trying to sell two billion people a can of Pepsi, that's easy to do, but to sell them a pinball machine is a whole different story because they don't have a house like we know a house in the West. They don't have a standalone house where they can put six pinball machines. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. The majority of them live in apartments and they simply are never going to own a pinball machine regardless. And so our target market is not the private buyer. It's arcades and it's bars and, right. and operators, I guess, you know, as an extension of that. Uh, do you need the operators in China to get into the bars, or is it the other uh, way around? We, we can do both. We've put our sample machines into several different bars very easily, and they're very keen to try anything that's new. And um, we would... Generally, the people that own the arcades run a small operation outside as well as operators. So our goal is, through Highway, of course, to, to tackle that market and uh, highway games have lots of contacts in that area and as you know, the operators and owners of those those arcades and they're quite large and they're quite well cashed up as well. Right. If, if you find that this is a, a success within China and you are getting a good sales there, can you see a future title being entirely targeted at the Chinese market and not for the Western possibly. market at all? Yeah, possibly. I wouldn't discount that at all. Uh, this title is, uh, the one we're working on currently is is along the lines of Kung Fu, which is a Chinese thing, but it's well known in the West. So it, it's not Kung Fu, but it's along those lines where it's definitely aimed at Chinese, but it is also known in the West. So I think that, you know, even though we're, we're deliberately targeting this at China and Chinese customers, the rest of the world would have some interest in it as well.
So is it a bilingual game? Yes, it will be. Right. It'll be Chinese and English. Okay. Um, as, a, as a kung fu game would yeah. also work as a bilingual game. Um, Thunderbirds is uh, the, the, probably the last pinball that has a dot matrix display. Um, for future titles, do you intend to continue with the dot matrix display or are you switching to LCD as well? The, the problem switching to LCD is, is not... Uh, I'd love to switch to LCD, don't get me wrong, because it would be a quarter of the cost. LCD is very, very cheap, especially from where I am in Shenzhen. An LCD screen is $20. And I can tell you now that the DMD costs us many times that. Uh, so I'd love to switch to DMD. To, to, sorry, to LCD. But it's the support for the LCD that's the problem. And I think if you have a critical look at the other machines that are out there with LCD, the, there's a lot lacking. You mean the quality of the content? Exactly. Exactly. That's, that is... That involves a whole new level of, of skill, of costs, of time, of approvals with licensors. You need, you need a whole new level of things. I mean, we had enough problems with the DMD, the DMD scenes on, on Thunderbirds getting them approved. We had to submit them frame by frame. And, uh, you know, people have said to me, but if you had an LCD, you could just have clips from Thunderbirds uh, series and, you know, yeah, maybe, but that's not the whole story. And, and, you know, we're a small company, 20 people. We just don't have that, that infrastructure. And uh, as you saw in my, in my little talk, uh, we have actually spent some time and effort on, on colour, uh, both LCD and on RGB, and uh, with mixed results. You know, we, we like some of the things, but it just, it just, we didn't have the money or the, or the resources to to um, implement that on Thunderbirds and it would have stretched things out yet again even further uh, and you know as you're well aware we were already behind the eight ball with that so we needed to get it to market so we had to drop a lot of things. Okay. Um, you got anything? Well, obviously, we recommend our um, uh, listeners to check out the uh, the YouTube video of the seminar that you did here at the UK Pinball Party. Uh, you mentioned it a couple of times, and it's uh, actually quite an interesting talk, and it gives you more insight behind the uh, the process of how you got to where you are right now. Um, well, I'd be interested to know, you, 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 you've kind of intimated and almost stated that people don't really understand exactly what, what goes into making a pinball machine. What, what do you think are the, the biggest obstacles or biggest issues that you have to deal with that the general public or the players or the buyers don't get to see or don't understand is involved in it? Probably the biggest problem for me, being based in China, uh, is that it's exceptionally complex and costly to import anything into China. It's not impossible, but it's complex and it's costly. And you need to have several dedicated staff if you're going to bring anything into China. And as I said, we're a small company, under 20 people. We simply don't have the resources to have two or three people set aside just for importing stuff. And so, effectively, we've got to make everything ourselves. And, and in Thunderbirds, every single part in that machine is, is made by us or by, or by our contractors. And uh, we buy one only part in that machine that's, a gen that's an original pinball part, one part only. And, um, and that's the, I'll tell you what that is, it's the, <laughs> it's the red beacon. 
the cap, the red cap on the beacon at the back. The flasher dome. The flasher dome. That's the only part we buy in. And, and simply, we would have actually made that as well because we have the facilities to make the dye and mold, injection mould that ourselves. But we just ran out of time again. And it was easier to place an order with Pinball Life for 100 of those than it was to, to spend another few weeks making that ourselves. Uh, but that is the only pinball part we buy in. Everything else is made by us, right down to the winding the coils, um, to stamping every metal part, to the screws. We make everything. So, uh, yes, that's, that is stunningly complex. Uh, there's so many parts that I never even realised, to be honest. And uh, I've been in pinball all my life, basically. And there's so many parts that when you get down to it and you dissect a pop bumper assembly... We make every single part of the pop bumper assembly, right down to the contacts in the switch. And uh, we make the insulator in the switch and then assemble the switch and make the spoon. And it's quite an onerous task when you look at it um, in, that, in that way. There's just so many parts. It's phenomenal. So in a way, you've, you've almost created a, a one-stop shop for pinball parts. Well, yes, but they're all our parts. That's the difference. They're, they're all metric for a start. So that'll annoy some people. But uh, the simple fact is when we first started the project in China, I looked into having them made in the same format as standard pinball parts. Uh, it would have cost us probably 40 to 50% more for every single part. It's possible in China for sure. But the entire world is metric, mm -hmm. and China is certainly metric. And uh, getting things made in anything other than metric is pretty silly when you've got to make thousands of parts because it would just the costs would blow out. Right, so you haven't had other manufacturers coming to you saying we'd like to like to make parts for us. As I've well. had I've had several people ask me that question, and I've made it clear to them right away from the beginning that that happy to help you, but you need to understand our parts are metric. Mm. And uh, does that normally turn them off? Yeah. Uh, usually, yes. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Okay. Um, you right now we're flat out making enough parts for our own oh, use, oh, so oh. we're not too bothered yeah. right now. You briefly mentioned uh, the second factory, which yes. uh, you also addressed in your talk, that uh, you've sort of been forced to um, move with your paint and woodwork to a second facility. Does that mean that the, uh, the original facility will have more space for manufacturing? Indeed, and, and having being forced to move to a second place is actually... A little bit of a blessing, really, because it's freed up a lot of space where we are. We also, it wasn't just the woodwork and, and, and the painting that was a problem. The inspectors that come around practically weekly these days were also concerned about our storeroom, which is crammed up one end and it's a bit tight. So, in fact, we can move our woodworking facility away to the new factory and move the store into where the woodworking facility is. So that will free up quite a bit of space down the end for... Factory space. At the moment, our biggest problem is is finished machines. We just don't have anywhere to put finished machines, and uh, so we've rented a, a small lockup out the back of the factory that was available, and uh, that can fit about twenty finished machines. And realistically, that's all we've got space for. Uh, unless we ship that twenty machines out straight away, we've got to stop the line because we physically don't have anywhere to put any finished machines. So we've got to keep that flow happening. Right. So how many can you fit into a container or a shipment? Well, sadly, we miscalculated badly on the uh, on the packing and so on, and uh, and realistically, we can only get about fourteen machines in a twenty foot container with a lot of spare space because uh, our packaging is just the wrong size. So, yeah, that's just where we're stuck at the moment. Mm. Okay. 
Okay. So, but you could reduce that if you re- redesign the packaging. We could, but I, I'm reluctant to bring the packaging down on the sides. It's going to damage head boxes and things like that. But uh, for the next machine, we'll certainly be addressing that. I'm not going to be changing Thunderbirds. That's how it is. And uh, that's just unfortunate. We've got to live with that. But um, it's, it is definitely a problem. And you know, we figured on getting a lot more than that in a container, but we simply can't because of our, our packaging. So, and at what rate are you currently um, manufacturing games? Because uh, we did a run, our first full, fully completed run of I think forty-five machines. We did that in about two weeks. Um, so yeah, that's six days a week. So that's that's twelve uh, days, twelve work days. Right. Um, because obviously, um, contrary to like what's happening at. For example, a Stern or a Jersey Jack, where they have an assembly line where everything's passing sure. uh, several stations and added on immediately. Sure. Uh, the way I understood it is that you guys will be working several days on several parts and making all certain parts, and then at some point assembly will start. But it's not all going on. Well, we have we have an assembly area upstairs where the mechanisms are assembled, and the, we assemble the printed circuit boards, and then they go down to the start of the assembly line. We've only got six or seven stations for the playfield, and after that, when the playfield is fully assembled in, in those seven stations. So a lot more gets done at each station than it does at, at Stern or Jersey Jack. And um, at the end of that seventh station, the wiring harness goes on and then the playfield's completed, ready to go into a, into a cabinet. Um, we do have a, a production line along those ways, but our, our biggest problem, as I said before, is at the end of it, once that machine's finished and tested and goes into a box, we physically have nowhere to put it. And um, that is a big problem to us at the moment, which which will get better uh, as we move more and more stuff across to the second factory. So, so you you will hold stock yourself rather than shipping everything you make to Highway. Oh no, we we can't hold any stock to be honest, because like I said, we've only got space for twenty machines. If mm. we when we get to twenty, they've got to go, or we've got to stop the line because if we made any more, they'd be sitting on the footpath. We just have no physical place to put them, so they will ship out. Highway's got a facility in Guangzhou as well. And uh, they've had that office there for many, many years, and so that's that's a helpful situation for us as well because we can ship them out to them, and then they can deal with them as they need to. So they will they will be useful in in uh, developing sales through China as well. In absolutely in yes, yes, that won't be such a problem because sales through China can easily be shipped out on a daily basis. You know, two machines here, three machines there. That's an easy thing to do. Uh, ship uh, freight inside China is exceptionally exceptionally good and exceptionally cheap. And um, that's why um, the equivalent of eBay in China has gone through the roof because you can get you can get any package, any small package delivered to you for one dollar, and uh, that's that's the normal price in China. So uh, online shopping has gone through the roof for that exact reason, and the same with shipping. Shipping a pinball anywhere in China is is, is peanuts compared to other countries. Okay. Um... The whole process of starting up and developing a pinball machine has been a, a huge learning experience. I sort of sense in uh, in the talk that you just gave and and uh, other things that I uh, that that we talked about in other conversations. Um, are there any things that you would do differently uh, um, when you're working towards your second game? Sure. Um... You know, we're already established now. We've well, when I say established, we've already 
done the hard yards. We've now got our mechanisms in place, the majority of them. We only need a couple of mechanisms for the new machine, but all of the the parts, the rubbers, the, the spaces, the, all of the bits and pieces and flipper mechanisms and majority of boards and things are already done. The design's done. It's tested and tried and proven with our prototyping, which was a little more extensive than maybe some others do. We made seven prototypes. We made about four prototypes initially, early ones, and then we made seven finished prototypes before we finally made the finished games. And, and probably that's a lot more than others would have done, but we needed to do that because having made every single part, uh, you know, there were just so many variables and so many opportunities for things to be wrong that we really needed to go through a much more stringent testing process than perhaps others need to do. Right. Speaking of uh, testing processes, um, you've given us a, um, a look under the playfield. Uh, one of the things that I noticed is that every mechanism under the playfield has a self-test mode. Yes, our, our philosophy right from the start has been, where possible, to build the mechanisms so they're autonomous. And on Thunderbirds, things like the Thunderbird 2 ramp, the Tracy Island ball eject, and the mole, and things like that, are basically self-contained. You can just pull the whole mechanism out, put it on the bench, apply 12 volts, and use the test switch to run it. So you can operate each of those mechanisms by themselves and fault find them or repair them, whatever you want. And that's been our objective from the start because that makes servicing so much easier. Okay. So when you were designing your, your system for your, for your pinball, your, your electronic system, where obviously you've got a huge amount of background in developing electronics, so you, you uh, wouldn't have any issues there. And you, there was no reason, I guess, for you to use a um, sort of a standard off-the-shelf pinball controller rather than develop your own? We didn't want to... I don't like certain operating ways. From my experience in the industry uh, turned me off a lot of ways of working amusement machines in general. Um, and so I wanted a, an embedded controller. That was an absolute must. And... Um, there were others doing embedded controllers. Um, ben Heck had, uh, had developed a pretty solid system for Spooky initially, which I believe they've now gone away from for some reason, not only to themselves. Um, but uh, we looked at what he had developed. We looked at many other systems. We looked at WPC systems. We looked at Zachariah. We looked at lots of different embedded systems. And, and we took a few of the ideas from each of those, including from Ben's ideas, and um, we put all of that together basically into our own system that we put together and uh, hopefully that'll prove to be a, a solid and reliable system that hasn't given us any trouble to date. We've got optically isolated solenoid drivers so if a coil burns out and takes out the driver it doesn't go any further than that. It can't damage the board and uh, yeah we've, we've incorporated a lot of changes and things. Everything's socketed on the board, it's very easy for a technician to fix uh, should they need to. And if you were to go over to something like a, a current LCD display, is your system capable of driving that directly now? It is. It is. Right, you wouldn't need to... No, make no. We, we've, as, as I showed in that, in that talk, uh, we have already experimented with RGB and with LCD, and uh, we, can, we can drive them now. It's just the biggest problem with that is the content, and that's, that's what we're basically avoiding right now. We don't want to get tied up in spending all of our development money on, on that. 
Now, our machines currently, as we've discussed, sell for considerably lower price than some others on the market. And should we suddenly start going LCD and incorporating additional requirements and extra people and staff and companies and, and more time for... It's, it's going to increase the price, and that's not our game. I don't believe that an LCD is a big part of, of pinball. Uh, for me, playing a pinball myself, I don't even see the, the uh, DMD, so it's not relevant to me playing a pinball. To me, a pinball machine is a mechanical game. It's the ball flying around, doing things. I would rather spend our money and development money on more mechanical things rather than an LCD because an LCD is a video game. If you want to look at a video game, go and buy a video game. Don't buy a pinball machine. But does an LCD necessarily mean uh, spending a lot of money developing content for it or could it just be uh, a glorified DMD that just happens to it be, could be a higher resolution font? Well, it could be, but then it's a waste of... A waste of time doing it, isn't it? You well, you save well... money on the, on the screen. You already said that. Well, I do. I, absolutely, yes. But, you know, you've got interface boards. You've got more to go wrong. Um, yeah, it's just I would like personally to keep our point of difference. Uh, others can run off and have their LCDs. That's great. Good on them. Good luck to them. Um, as for, uh, well, Thunderbird is now uh, available and uh, hopefully you'll be making uh, a lot of those. What's your estimated time frame for the second game we hope to have a finished well when I say finished a, a very a very finished prototype about middle of next year we've got uh, things in motion now we've got a white wood that's not quite finalized but it's certainly uh, made and and in the works um, and that will ramp up a little bit we've we've had to put that aside a little bit in the last couple of months because we've been gearing up to to get Thunderbirds out the door and uh, We've had to put a few other things aside as well to get Thunderbirds out the door because people were getting a bit uh, nervous, if you like, or uh, restless that we hadn't actually released it and there was seemed to be delay after delay and uh, you know, you know, most of the delays and so on are, are easily explained but people don't, uh, don't understand those delays. They don't, they, don't see, they don't see the reasoning behind them and... Uh, and they don't need to or want to, to be honest. They're, they're not really interested in the... You know, they just say, you've taken too long, and that's all they see. So we didn't want to delay it any further, and we wanted to get it out. Right. Um, does that mean that till the moment that you can actually start with the second game that you will be building Thunderbirds, or will you be building Thunderbirds for a couple of... Weeks, months, I don't know. Oh, no, we'll continue to build Thunderbirds while people want to buy them. There's no problem with that. And uh, I was speaking with the, the licence owners just yesterday and they're, they're more than happy with us and happy to give us any extensions to the licence we would ask for. And uh, there's no problem at all there. We'll, we'll keep making them as long as people are happy to buy them. It might, be, it might be a year, two years, three years, who knows? Okay. And that can run in conjunction with other machines that we make. And we're looking at other machines, not only pinball machines. We, we make licensed Hank and video game tables, and we make replacement PC boards, as you know, and, uh, and we're working on, on other um, mechanical arcade machines as well, not just pinball machines. So, right. so we, we don't want to get uh, tied into only making pinball machines. So basically, you, there's enough work to keep the factory going. Very much so, yeah. And we do, we, like I said, we don't want to get tied into only making pinball machines. That would be a, a big mistake. Okay. Right. Um, well, 
I guess um, I have no further questions for now. Your, um, your honor. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for your time. Um, You're welcome. And uh, for everybody out there listening, um, if you have a chance to play Thunderbirds, um, uh, just walk up to the game and, and see for yourself what it's about and um, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Well, that's the best way. I mean, there's a lot of gossip and hearsay, but the reality is go and have a play of the game yourself. Uh, you know, there's a, basically six missions, as I said earlier. They're clearly written on the front of the machine. You can see what the missions are. Um, there's some that are very simple. There's some that are very complicated. That's basically the, the nature of the range of things we wanted to incorporate so that there were at least some things for more experienced players to achieve uh, rather than just it be a too simple machine, yet if you've got a novice comes up, you want them to be able to achieve something as well. So it's got a little bit of a mix of that, so it allows for a, a more seasoned player to to achieve a more difficult goal. And, uh, and is the software complete, finished? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a few little tweaks that we've we've got for things, but it won't be changed drastically from what it is. Okay. okay. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Mike. You're welcome. Okay. So... So far, this is where the interview with Mike ended. But before the interview started, we actually already started a recording and Mike was discussing the CE testing of his game and he allowed us to include that section as well. So here's a little bit more Mike Kalinowski of Homepin discussing CE testing of Thunderbirds. So we took two new machines across them yesterday. And she said... We delivered the two pinball machines already. The lady was helpful, but the guys who work in there are fuckers. He said, my machine is boring in front of me. Anyway, one thing, might need to be careful. They said, DC power over 70 volts is CE test standard problem. I told them pinball machines have been running in overseas countries for more than 30 years, and I'm pretty sure our design and power is okay. They said they will see what they can do after they start testing next week. This is after they'd been on our original two machines. You need to supply two machines for yes. CE testing. Yeah. And the original ones, they just kept coming back to us saying, no, no, the EL panels are causing the problem, blah, blah, blah. Noise. And we said, turn them off. And they said, well, no, you've got to supply us machines. In the, in the end, they said, you've got to supply us machines that ha don't have them fitted. Yeah, you can't sweet. have them fitted and then just turn the switch off. They won't pass it. Right? So we had to build two more test machines and take them over there after nearly three months. Right. And uh, I'm pretty sure the machine will pass. It was that that was the hold-up. Uh, and this is something that people don't see out there. They don't see all of the hold-ups along the way and stupid things that, that you can't even you know, guess are going to be a problem. But, right. but you're not doing any of that sort of um, stuff that Stern does about trying to restrict um, which countries or which no, areas no, nothing, you can nothing. operate the machine in. It's the not right at all. One. Our machines are, um, have got a sticker inside. In fact, you can change the voltage from 115 to 230 in minutes. Um, it's not the flick of a switch, you've got to change some connections across, but it's pretty easy. And you can change them to anything you want. Yeah, and it's sort of, it's not my business where they get sold to. That's that's yeah. up to the customer. If he wants to sell it to someone in Botswana, well, that's his business, not mine. But is it all mostly DC inside then, once, once you, know, oh, yes, you, yes, you use AC within the game? Well, only, only, only no, no, we convert. don't. We don't. It's all DC running the game, yeah. yes. Right, so the core is running on, on DC. The uh, mains transformer's got two primary windings of 115 volts, and they either go in parallel or in series. So the machine is either 115 or it's 230. I notice you're using a toroidal transformer. Yes. Is that is that just because they're they're better quality? They are yeah. way better, yeah. and um, they, run, they run they run cooler. 
and they are more expensive than a conventional yeah. transformer. But mm. in China, that's not necessarily the case. Oh, uh, that okay. big transformer is wound for us because you can't buy things like that off the shelf. It's got a 12 volt winding, an 18 volt winding, and the 50 volt winding yep. on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are remarkably cheap for what they are. Uh, we ordered them in batches of 50, and so that we get a pretty good deal on it. In fact, the, the guy actually delivers them to us personally in his own car. Um, and has the price of things like that gone up a lot? recently with our copper prices going up? Surprisingly, the price of all that sort of stuff has not risen. It's mainly the labour that's gone up. It's gone up through the roof. Uh, there's been three price three three wage rises in Shenzhen in the last 18 months, mandatory wage rises, and uh, the wages there are now astronomical, uh, comparatively speaking. And People ask me all the time, why, why are you in China? Is it the cheap wages? Is it the cheap rent or whatever? And it's neither of those. I can... I can rent a factory cheaper in Australia than I can in China, much cheaper. And uh, labour, proportionally speaking, is not cheaper than Australia. Uh, what, is, what is the difference is not cheaper. What is the difference is that mechanical parts, metal stampings, electronic parts, all that sort of stuff, I can get easily and instantly in China. Yeah. Most of it's just unavailable in Australia and I'm guessing most other countries too. And, um, and the lead times, I guess, are much, much... Most easier. of the places that you deal with in Australia that you might want to go and buy some of those things from, get them made overseas anyway. Yeah. So you're just dealing with a middleman then and wasting time and money. So uh, we can at least go directly to the to the source and, and get them made directly for us and the price is sensible. And what's your experience about, about quality control? Do you have to keep a sort of real eye on exactly what, what's coming into the factory to make sure it's, it's still as good as it was when the first time you bought it or... Um, once you've got a relationship with a supplier, we're in, we're, in that, we're in that situation now where basically we found suppliers for all the separate bits and pieces you know, up to two years ago and, uh, and we had initial batches run and, and as I mentioned in the chat, uh, uh, we geared up to make, we bought enough stuff to make 100 machines. What I didn't say there is that the reason for 100 machines was we simply didn't have the space to put the parts for more than 100 machines and uh, it's just stunning how much space it takes parts for 100 machines, it's unbelievable. Uh, I never expected it would take so much space. And um, we, uh, we kept, where we could, we kept the, the parts count to, uh, to build 100 machines, or 110, we allowed 10%. And uh, things like the rubbers is an example, which I didn't mention in the talk either. Uh, we had all the rubber moulds made for our own rubbers, and, um, and we're very pleased with them. They're extremely high quality. We only ordered a thousand of each rubber, which basically, when you realise that we yeah. use eight of one size in a machine, we've only got really enough rubbers for 100, 150 machines. So we just a couple of weeks back went to order another batch of rubbers, and the places disappeared along with our moulds, gone. So we're back to square one, where we've got to spend several thousand dollars again having new moulds made. That takes time. It costs money. We've got to start from scratch. And hopefully we won't run out of rubbers before we've managed to get the new batch done. You know, it's make the moulds, test them, make sure they're suitable, adjust the moulds if necessary. And that's just, that's a constant and ongoing problem. But something like that, would it make sense or would it even be practical for you to give them the moulds, make, make the rubbers, take the moulds back? Where we can, we keep the moulds ourselves. But yeah. um, sometimes it's impractical, such as the large, the large injection moulds for things like the pop bubble bodies and stuff. They're huge. They're you know, they weigh hundreds of kilos, some of them, mm. and they're just, they're amazingly big and they take up space and uh, the places like to keep them so that they've basically got you trapped and you've got to go back to them to, to remake the parts, yeah, of, of course. 
and uh, with all the smaller stuff we do and absolutely with the new rubber moulds they're not that big we certainly will be asking for them and um, but we're going through that process now fortunately some of the rubbers of course like uh, the three half inch one we only use one per machine so we had a thousand we've got plenty of those so the new place we found is going to make smaller moulds that uh, only have one or two sizes in each mould so that changes the landscape a little bit for us right and we're back <laughs> yeah thank you yes that was uh, hopefully you found that instructive uh, it was certainly certainly um, gave me a few eye openers and and uh, a, a much greater insight into all the all the uh, shenanigans that go on in, uh, in producing a pinball game and um, and also in uh, in working in China Right, exactly. So thanks uh, to Mike Kalinowski of HomePin. Um, we do note that uh, the Thunderbirds game that he is currently manufacturing is shipping. Um, some uh, people who ordered are apparently still waiting for their game, but um, it should be coming soon. And um, well, they're not cranking out 100 games a week yet, uh, uh, but they are building the games. And um, uh, it's good to see that they're that they're making progress in the factory as well. So yeah, and also uh, they've, they've appointed Highway Games as a global distributor, um, which means that um, they can get on with building the games. And Highway, who have um, who have a good presence both in Australia and also in China, can get on with the actual business of selling the game, which is obviously uh, uh, something which <laughs> there's no point making games if you can't sell them, is there? Right. Exactly. So, um, so best of luck to both Homepin and Highway Games in uh, getting that to the market. And um, then let's move on to the uh, the other um, uh, manufacturer that was present at the UK Pinfest, Team Pinball. Yeah. Well, you and I have both been down to the Team Pinball factory in, in Cardiff. Um, we were there for the for the launch of, of uh, their their first game, the Mafia. Right. And um, they had a the Mafia machine. At UK Pinfest for people to play, and um, I think it. Was, um, I think people were actually impressed with the with the way the game played. Was that your impression? Uh, that's what I hear. I have to be uh, uh, honest, and um, I only played one game at the show. Um, sadly, the sound of the game was uh, um, even if you put the headphones on, uh, was not very loud. It was uh, overpowered by all the noise from uh, all the games around it. Um, I played one game, but what I understood is that they uh, significantly updated the uh, uh, game code on the game and included some new features and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't get to to explore that in depth and I couldn't hear anything, but the response from people who played it was actually very good. So I'm glad to see that they're making progress on that. Yes, I, I did play it. I also played a game on it and it was, it was certainly very different to... Uh, the way, I, the way the game played when it was down in Cardiff, um, something which you highlighted, I think, earlier was um, it required you to make each shot individually once to, to light a feature, and then you had to light, do each shot again individually to light the next feature, uh, right. rather than being able to shoot the same shot three times and then shoot another shot three times and then shoot another shot three times in order to, to, to get to a, to a bigger feature, and that's something right. which they have added. Um, so I think you can probably take a bit of credit for uh, for suggesting that to them. So um, they do listen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think everybody could see that it was very much a 
a, a market there for a, a simple single level game, uh, which would be easy to operate and something which, uh, which, you know, in, is actually quite understandable and something which, um, maybe the, the designers, as, as you said, uh, were, were able to react to feedback and make changes to without it being, you know, a complete change of direction for the, for the, uh, entire, um, mindset of the game. But as always, as something we, we, we both know and everybody who, who's looked at it has gone, it's an expensive game for what it is just yeah. because of the sheer numbers that they're building. And uh, there's, there's no getting away from the fact that it is pricey. Um, and it's people have said, you know, if that was a that was a three thousand pound you know, UK pound game, it would be a runaway hit. However, at, at twice that price, it's um, it's going to struggle. Um, right. Whether yeah. that's true or not, I don't know. Um, it'll it'll certainly sell to a certain number of people, but uh, they already limited themselves to to a uh, well, hundred machines anyway in production. So maybe they're not looking for a runaway title, but it could be, I, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense for them to make games and lose money on it, but... Well, that's a good way to stop making games. <laughs> uh, yes, other companies have done that. Um, it hasn't worked out too well for them. Right. Uh, but it's the, the game itself and, and the, the, the concept behind it and, and the gameplay, I think people were, were very appreciative of. Right. So one thing that, um, since you brought up the uh, uh, the cost of um, the mafia, which is the game we're talking about, um, one thing that I think could be interesting is uh, what if you would have, uh, let's say, if home pain in China would start, uh, would be become the go-to manufacturer for all these sort of homebrew type of games that would like to go into production but start with a small quantity. I think that could actually be a very interesting market for that in the sense that, okay, so every uh, um, homepage just, uh, people design a game, homepage takes it into production and um, then the at least the production cost should be less than when you're building it locally. Um, and you still well, have people knowing what they are doing with pinball and um, and so on. Potentially, but um, one of the things that Mike there was talking about was the fact of, of how difficult it was to import product into China. Now, if you if you need the parts, then it makes it, things are so much easier if you make them all locally or either yourself well, or you get a local to Basically, yes. you would, if, if, if you're going into manufacturing, basically you need a drawing for everything that needs to be made. Um, so at some point, there need to be drawings, and then you have them locally made in China. Um, put the game together in China, and that's where you hopefully save the money. And oh, sure. I, I can see what you're saying, but if you imagine you know, if they would produce the Mafia in China, okay, the game is made with Bally Williams parts. Okay, well, you can't import those parts into China. Um, they're not readily available in China because all the parts made in China are metric. Right. So you'd have to redesign the game either in a metric form 
or using parts which Homepin already make, or you then oh, have to. Homepin is making Flipper Max and uh, and targets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. but again, they're all metric. So, so okay, yeah. So you'd have to redesign the game, re- rework the geometry, you know, respec it. Um, not saying it's not possible. Uh, in fact, it's probably a lot easier than trying to trying to do it all domestically. But it's not a simple case of, oh, well, you know... It's not here, a copy-paste it, thing. It's, a, I, I, it's I not a Williams Valley game. Build it in China. Dead easy. You know, it's, uh, it's a bit more complicated. It'll become easier over years, of course, because Homepin will build up their repertoire of parts and drawings and manufacturing capabilities over there. Um, so that kind of stuff. You know, at the moment, the only manufacturing they do over there are the parts for Thunderbird, you know, as far as pinball goes. So after they've made two, three, four models, they'll have a lot more range of, of uh, mechanisms and parts that people can choose from if they want to go that route. Yes, I agree. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Um, let's hope something like that will uh, will happen. Then, um, so what else have we got? Uh, well, um, your your uh, your local manufacturing company or design company, I guess, um, Dutch Pinball. Uh, they um, are still not actually in a position to produce any games either with R or Zytec, from what I right. understand. But there has has been a, a little bit of news there. So, yes. do you want to date on what's happening? Uh, well, um, Dutch Pinball announced. Um, Earlier this summer, that um, after the uh, uh, summer holiday, um, they had a meeting scheduled for August 29th uh, with their former contract manufacturer, uh, ARA, or ARA, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that meeting took place, and a day later, Dutch Pimble sent out a newsletter that um, the lawyers had met and talked and that they are looking to set up a new meeting within two to three weeks, uh, which means that there is at least reason to continue talking. So that's that's a good thing. And uh, basically, each party is now, each, the lawyers of each party are talking to their uh, respective parties to see whether they come up with some sort of deal or what they uh, would like to uh, to get out of it or... I don't know, but at least everybody's talking to uh, the, 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 the parties involved. And, um, well, that's about the news. So as far as you're, con- as far as you're aware, um, there's no actual movement <coughs> in, uh, in manufacturing any games at the moment. No, sadly, no. I wish there was. No. Not with our or Zytec. Um, no, actually, um, I did hear from Zytec, and they were wondering, like, did you hear anything from Dutch Pinball? I was like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> no, I think that's probably not a good sign, no. Uh, but I guess uh, Dutch Pinball have been focusing on this court case. Um, um, we know that uh, they, they supplied like uh, over 140 pages um, of um, uh, material um for the court case, um, which after uh, Ara decided, like, okay, let's talk to these guys. So, um, they have yeah. obviously been working on on uh, on the court case in order to make sure that they, if they go to court, uh, that they have 
the best representation possible for them and that they covered everything that they need to cover in order to um, uh, make the best impression uh, on a, a, a judge, I would say. Sure. But 140 pages is, uh, is a lot of documentation and it requires a lot of, lot of pouring over by lawyers and uh, the more time lawyers spend doing anything, the more money it's going to cost. Right. So I'm sure they would, uh, they would much rather come to an amicable settlement. Both, well, I'd right. say both sides would rather do that, but maybe Ara don't. Ara has always, <laughs> always seems to have had a, uh, uh, an ulterior motive in trying to run Dutch pinball into the ground right. one way or the other. So the only, th- the only thing that I fear right now is, okay, um, based on the information that I know, um, which is mostly coming from Dutch pinball, I have to admit, um, but the way I understood it, Ara has now twice tried to derail Dutch pinball. Um, my only fear is, okay, so they don't want to go to court, but what makes people think that they won't try it a third time? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Not, not, a, not a partner you can work with, for the sounds of it. Right, so I'm really curious what they are talking about, and, um, oh well, I don't yeah. know any details. I haven't talked to Barry or Yap recently, so I can't... I, I really don't know what, what they have been discussing so far. Um, no, it hopefully, would be, hopefully more news in, in the next couple of weeks then on that. Yes, uh, it's definitely a subject uh, that will be part of the next podcast, I think. Mm. Uh, although I really hope it, it would be nice to report some good news from that. Absolutely. Yeah. For once. So. Okay, um, talking of things Dutch, um, before we move on to our last manufacturer, um, I think it's probably worth mentioning about the, the Dutch Pinball Open right. coming up in November because uh, I'm, from speaking to various people in the UK, they weren't really aware that it was happening. Um, so I've, I've been educated to that fact because originally there wasn't going to be a Dutch Pinball Open this year. Um, uh, yeah, that was the plan. Anyway, after last year's huge show at the, the Avion, uh with 400 plus machines in that amazing spaceship-shaped building, uh, the feeling was, as I understood at the time, that there's no way they're going to be able to sort of replicate that kind of thing. So they have a year off, really, and try and come back bigger. Well, at least as somewhere near the size of that for the for the following year. But that changed. And now there is a, a DPO, is it a DPO Expo? Um, it's a, it will be a DPO Expo, yes. Okay, um, so give us the details. Okay, um, actually I will be involved in the Expo part of the uh, event. Um, obviously, since it's the Dutch Pinball Open, there will be a big main tournament, there will be a, a women's tournament, there will be a kids tournament, I think there, there might be either a country or a team tournament, something like that, so plenty of tournaments, they have a website, go there and find all the info. Um, there is a expo um, a part with seminars that I will be hosting, um, we will be doing our So You Think You Know Pinball Quiz, um, and there will be uh, two uh, special guests flown in from the U.S. Uh, talking about uh, either their um, pinball design career or 
um, their career in making artwork for pinball machines. So there's one artist coming over and there is one uh, pinball designer coming over. Um, but since they plan to reveal those names, um, I think later this week one and then next week the other, I'm not going to spoil that over here. But um, if you're in the Netherlands, I think those are two very interesting names. Um, so... Even if you're not in the Netherlands, if you're in the UK or Germany or Belgium or France or Italy, whatever, you might want to come over because I think the seminar part of the expo will be very interesting as well. Absolutely. So that um, takes place 10th and 11th of November, I think. Is that right. right? And uh, they are going back to the venue in Drunen where they already had several earlier uh, Dutch Pinball Open events. So those who have uh, visited those are familiar with the uh, with the location, except for the fact that uh, apparently the entire venue has been um, uh, updated or uh, um, reconstructed. They, they, yes, yeah. exactly. So, um, but they have a nice. Uh, they should still have a very nice theater room uh, with with really like cinema type. Uh, seats with a stage and all that kind of stuff, which is ideal for seminars. And I think the plan is also to play the finals on the stage if the stage is at least sturdy enough, because mm-hmm. uh, apparently if you would bounce on the floor, the pinball machines could tilt. So, oh well. Yeah, uh, well, it wouldn't be the only, only tournament that has that problem. But okay. yes, I've, I've certainly been there for the, well, I, I guess probably the last three well, probably every every time they had a a DPO at that venue, I, I think I've been there. And um, yeah, if you, obviously reports um, on pinballnews dot com slash shows slash DPO twenty fourteen, DPO twenty fifteen, DPO twenty sixteen. Was there twenty? Oh sure, you plugging your website. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> If you want to see what the venue looks like and um, looks like and, and the no theatre like that, well, it's going to be the same size, isn't it? It's going to have this probably the same layout of machines, and the, the theatre is going to be about the same. And uh, anyway, so you can see what uh, the place in Druden looks like, and it's, uh, it's 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 certainly somewhere that seemed absolutely ideal to hold a pinball show um, up until the point where you went to um, to the Avulon. Um, last year, where that was even more ideal. So, uh, right. yeah. but oh, well, only if you've got 400 machines, though. If you right. Then um, um, the uh, place in Drunen, the uh, former automobile museum, there is uh, is a lovely place and um, very good for accommodation in the area as well. Right. So uh, I'm pretty sure we'll mention it next month as well because then we can. Uh, uh, discuss the uh, the special guests that will be really? at the show. Yep. And um, okay, so it should be a fun show. So if you if you have no other plans the weekend of uh, November tenth and eleventh, then um, I recommend the Dutch Pinball Open Expo. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Um, so our, our last manufacturer that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Chicago Gaming. Well, actually, there's two manufacturers we haven't mentioned yet. Oh, well, uh, uh, but okay. let's go with Chicago Gaming first. Yes. Um, obviously, um, Monster Bash will be their next remake. Um, that was uh, sort of confirmed last month. It was. Um, yeah. And apparently, um, 
Chicago Gaming put out a um, um, announcement that they were looking for testers to come over to the factory and um, basically play the game for a couple of hours to see whether it behaves like it should. Um, uh, people were testers are also uh, allowed to play with the uh, the settings uh, that can be adjusted in the, inside the coin door. Um, so, um, so they are making progress in the uh, in the development, and if you're looking for testers, I'd say you're pretty far um, along. So, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I, it, it is interesting that they're, they're getting people to come along and do that kind of testing, which is kind of um, you know operating system level testing, which you think would be common to all the machines, uh, rather than it being something that's specific for for um, Monster Bash as such. Right. So, so why, why are they looking for testers for to doing coin door you know, menus and that kind of stuff? That should be should be sort of part of the base well, operating it, system. The way I understood it was more uh, somebody asked like whether they would be allowed to change like settings um, that you can adjust in the coin door um, uh, menu. Um, like set it to to more balls or less balls or turn extra ball off or that kind that kind of stuff. It's not so much to test that menu, but it's more like so they want people to basically treat the game like they would treat it when they would own it and um, um, and see if there are any any bugs um, that they still need to look after, which I think is a good thing. Oh, absolutely, yes. And no one, no one wants to uh, encounter all those things after the game um, goes into production because that's a that's a pain to fix. Cause we know know how difficult it is to up well, not difficult necessarily, but how people tend not to up update their software necessarily, particularly operators, um, when it once once the game's on location. Um, if there are any critical bugs in there, they need to iron them out very early on. Right. So, our, our last manufacturer then. Yes, that would be Deep Root Pinball, who announced that they hired um, Paul Ferris as an artist for at least one or more of their upcoming games. Absolutely, yes. Although, um, I don't know if we can call them manufacturer yet, they haven't actually manufactured anything, but they are certainly showing every sign of being you know, a major force in pinball manufacturing um, with having hired... Uh, basically, anybody who's anybody who who wasn't already um, tied up with a, had a contract with another manufacturer, Deep Root seem to be uh, out there hoovering up all the talent they can find to make their their games, you know, um, the best they can be, I guess. Right. So, and then it come all comes down to whether um, uh, I mean, designing a game is one thing, and then it comes down to manufacturing. So, I'm really rooting for Deep Root <laughs> that they actually can. Um, um, put that together as well because uh, we've seen with other companies that um, the manufacturing part is a beast on its own. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether they decide to uh, tackle that whole issue themselves and try and set up their own manufacturing facility or do you know the same kind of thing that uh, Multimorphic did and get contract manufacturers in, in the area, uh, also in Texas, of course, um, to, to actually build the assemblies and um, assemble the games for them uh, under their under their auspices and you know, with their uh, control on, on quality to make sure that everything is, is constructed as it should be. But um, 
Yeah, as you say, actually setting up a manufacturing facility for yourself is, uh, particularly when you're talking about the number of different models and the, I'm guessing, the, the quantity of machines that they're, that they're looking to produce, uh, that's, uh, that's quite an undertaking. And uh, we, although we've seen a lot of big names um, join Deep Fruit in the uh, design and artists and sound um, areas, uh, we haven't heard a lot of uh, news about um, any any sort of uh, factory um, or production line expertise being being brought on board. Not to say that, that it hasn't happened, but it hasn't hasn't made the headlines yet. Well, the difference is they are in Texas, and um, uh, I guess. Um, well, I wouldn't say that all the, the, the all the leaks are coming from Chicago because that's not the case, but. Um, if if certain uh, leaks occur due uh, the geographical uh, position of certain people, um, being in Texas uh, may be an advantage for not having stuff leaked. Oh, I agree, but um, there have been, been quite a few announcements of people who have been joining Deep Root. They've been you know, on social media and Deep Root themselves, I think, have been, uh, been promoting the fact that they've they sure. hired the, this talent. But I haven't heard anything much outside the names that you already know. You know, we're not hearing people who are, who are production line experts or um, know, know about, um, about manufacturing and, um, and the whole processes that go into that. But not we necessarily would. Maybe the people who are who would be involved in that are not people that we'd be that familiar with anyway. That could very well be the case. And it could also be that Deep Root will be starting announcing those people, if, if they would be, um, anytime soon. I don't know. Yeah, we need to be soon. If they're going to uh, produce or have games ready to, for sale in, in March next year um, following the Texas show. But, right. Yep, let's see what happens there. Best of luck to Deep Root and to everyone involved with them. Right, okay, so um, now before we close off, um, let's head back to Gary at uh, uh, oh, UK yeah. Pinball, uh, sorry, the UK Pinfest. Uh, we almost forgot, but um, so um, we'll leave the closing off to Gary. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to uh, this podcast. And uh, I look forward to either seeing you in uh, Vancouver at the Vancouver Flip House, which is uh, the upcoming weekend. Um, or else um, at other shows. Yes, absolutely. And same here. I'll be at, uh, at Vancouver Flip Out and Pinball Expo and uh, Dutch uh, Pinball Expo and a number of other shows over the coming month. But as you say, we'll, we'll leave the cl- closing words to Gary, who's reporting live from the UK Pinfest show. Over to you, Gary. Okay, yes. Sorry, Gary, I can't hear you. Gary? Gary? Gary, are you there? Are you still reading Pinball Magazine number five? Still reading number three. Gary, come in. No, no, okay. Uh, Gary, we hear lots of noise, but we don't hear you. Can you speak louder? Well, we, we're giving him a good chance. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, oh well. Um, yeah. So that's it for this time. If you haven't ordered Pinball Magazine number five <laughs> yet, <laughs> then please go to www.pinball-magazine.com 
and um, order it there or get your copy at the Vancouver Flipout this weekend. Thank you for now and until next month. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>